Nelk is quite possibly one of the most successful YouTube channels in existence. Their audience spans into the tens of millions across platforms. They routinely sell millions of dollars a month in merch. They've created a $250 million beverage empire through Happy Dad. And today we get to sit down and talk money with the man behind the billion dollar business, John Shahidi. Enjoy. Although before we go into that, we gotta thank today's sponsor, Fund and Grow. Like, I'm sure you've all seen the show Shark Tank. Well, they're a perfect example of how even if you have the best business in the world, expanding can be nearly impossible without the proper funding. But thankfully, you don't have to go on a TV show to get the funding your business needs. Just use today's sponsor, Fund and Grow. Fund and Grow is a unique funding alternative with far fewer restrictions than traditional bank loans. With their 12-month membership, you can access up to $250,000 of credit at 0% interest, all while retaining full equity in your company. And don't just take our word for it. Over 4,000 customers have given Fund & Grow 4.9 star reviews. And as a special offer for our listeners, Fund & Grow has prepared a business funding masterclass that uncovers the five simple steps to securing up to $250,000 in business credit. Plus, as an exclusive bonus, you'll receive a $500 discount on their services. So don't wait to fund and grow your business. Visit Fund & Grow today using the link down below in the description. Thank you so much, Fund & Grow. And now... Onto the podcast. So, like, okay. if there's anything you want out of it, it's going to go out in a while. Yeah. So you have time. Only, to... I'll just have to double check the $250 million valuation thing I said. Yeah. yeah. I mean, well, Kyle said it. If he but... said it and it's already out there, then yeah. I'd say just, I remember everyone was kind of pissed that he said it. Everyone was like, yo, why did he say that? Like, and then, you know. Is it already out there? Because that main he, channel video would probably I, go out on Monday. I don't know where he said it. I know people were freaking out. He said it somewhere. And then. So he just said it on a podcast or something. Yeah, I forgot which one. I don't know. It was Theo Vaughn. I don't know. Theo Vaughn. I love Theo Vaughn. Yeah. It's my be- my favorite podcast, man. Really? This Theo past Vaughn? weekend? Yeah. Yeah. That's. Well, Graham doesn't yeah. know who Theo is, and I've been trying to get him on the podcast for yeah. so long. He said he's going to be in Vegas in a, in a bit. Yeah, we're going to shoot with him when he comes to Vegas because really? he's touring. You, you're yeah. talking to him? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Why yeah. Why was his so good? Oh, he's just a great podcast. Are we going? Yeah. yeah. Oh, we are. Sure. Yeah, we're good. All right, great. Um. No, he's just my favorite. Like, there's, he's he's unique. He's funny. Yeah. Um, but he's also one of those things like you gotta like under like you gotta be ready for his humor, right? Like, yeah. I've seen him say some things where the guest like didn't get it, and I'm like, dude, really? Like, he just said something funny. You're not laughing. Like, it just goes over your head. Like, yeah. It's one of those things. He just maybe so... they're nervous though. No, you but, gotta no. you gotta know Theo to understand mm-hmm. his type of humor. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's the best. In, in my opinion, he's the greatest podcaster period wow yeah like he's the like i love joe rogan yeah you know and obviously i love everything we do but like when it comes to like you know outside of our world like if i want to like listen and and i'm boys with theo but there's never a day that i want to work with him ever just because like i'm such a fan like i'm just a Hmm. big fan i met him he came to our holiday the happy dad holiday party whoa i was fucking nervous man really yeah yeah i was nervous i would imagine yeah i was nervous and I, i almost asked him for a picture and then um what's the guy's name tall guy that dated Addison Ray's mom. Oh, oh Young, Young Gravy. Gravy. Young Gravy. That dude comes up and he just, he get, gives me his phone. He's like, will you take a picture of me and Theo? I'm like, oh, sh- yeah. So I took a picture of him and Theo and I was like, there's my chance and I did it. But then like, but me and him became boys and obviously like, cool. I helped Kyle get on the podcast. It's like, yo, you got to get Kyle on and Drewski. I was like, you got to get Drewski on. But um, That Drewski episode was amazing. Yeah. yeah I yeah. love that episode. But there were some things that went over Drewski's head and that's a, that's a comedian too. That's a stand-up yeah comic himself Drewski so and what like, sort of jokes though going over people's heads yeah, it'd like, be so hard to say man I mean I'm sure people listening that they know Theo Vaughn they know what I'm talking about it's 
I've tried. I've tried to explain. Like yeah. I've, I've told my brother. I've told my wife. Like, hey, there was this one part where Theo said this, and like they just didn't laugh. The delivery it. It is not. Yeah, yeah, you just have to hear it, and you have to know Theo. It's like the the deep South type comedy where yeah. he goes on these super long winded jokes, super descriptive things that you feel like just definitely didn't happen, or childhood stories about this dude who yeah, had one I year. Yeah, I was wondering. Like what do you that? think about that? Like some of them, I'm like, dude, there's no way. Like <laughs> I, with Theo, does he I make have, it up? I, I, that's one thing I don't. But some of them sound. So I mean, he is from. Louisiana. I've heard a lot of the stories are exaggerated. Not yeah, for yeah. him, but That's like what from I would other comedians. It'll so be a real ge- story, genuine. but like they'll expand on it. Yeah. Yeah, but he's just so genuine. He sounds like he doesn't need yeah. to. I wonder if he just has had a crazy life and has just ran into some crazy experiences. Yeah. I don't know. I love him though, man. I love Theo Vaughn. Yeah, biggest fan. We're gonna have him on. Cool. We yeah. gotta have Dude, him. Dude, I can't wait for you guys to have him on. That's me. Awesome. I'll be watching. It's, it's it's on him right now. So whenever he's in Vegas next, we'll make it yeah. happen. Yeah, yeah, he's on tour, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So what exactly is your title within the whole Full Send franchise? Um, I'm the president of All Ventures. So The president all, of All Ventures? Yeah. So Full Send, Note, Happy Dad, um, Shots Podcast Network, All Ventures. So you're the president of this beverage right here? Yes, correct. You all may notice we have alcoholic beverages <laughs> on the uh, camera right now, and Graham and I, we don't drink very often. No. I think we've... Ne- have we had a drink on a podcast before? Maybe once or twice. I don't think so. Openly, well, no, I don't think so. <laughs> openly? <laughs> openly. Well, we're about to we try We could be it. discreet about it, Jeff. I have had right. a Happy Dad once before, I think. I, I g- gently sipped it, maybe at Graham's house or something. And we're going to review it. Apparently, the fruit punch is the, the best flavor. It's the most popular right now. But also, All let's right. be clear, we weren't planning on drinking. I had my coffee. No. I have a yeah. And then too, you yeah. wanted to. You well, said bring over a happy this, No, this is all Graham's You idea. said okay. you were going to shotgun it. I did not <laughs> say you, that. No. You sent Russ, big Russ, to go grab him. I was perfectly fine with the coffee. And you know, now I feel like we here. have to. I mean, you're the president of a massive company, right? Mm-hmm. This is the product. And I would love to Let's do it. I mean, I would love I'd be honored for you guys. You start, Jack. I'll join you halfway through. Okay, all right, let's yeah. listen Graham to this. Graham knows what's up, though. Yeah. Okay, nice crack. How is it? Wow. Whoa, that tastes yeah. like a Gatorade. <laughs> it actually tastes like a, a mildly alcoholic Gatorade. That's one thing. Um, it, should I have said that, or is that a bad thing to say? No, I think it's okay to say. Um, no, one thing we take pride in, in, in this and a lot of different products that we're coming out with whether it's new flavors or other consumer good products is we're very good with taste like we're like we have a pretty like everyone here is brutally honest from like our operations team to even steve and kyle like when it's like time to taste test something like no one's going to settle and we'll go back and forth a dozen times if we need to to have that perfect taste it honestly hardly tastes like there's alcohol in that and i, I gotta chill out with it because no, i just I, you know any yeah, um, water, whatever. I just yeah. Slam it. I mean, it's lighter on the alcohol side. It's only five percent. Yeah. but no, it's it's actually it's yeah. really nice. It tastes like cotton candy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's cool. So, John, I was curious, what was your first job? How did you get started in all this? Well, first job or how did I get started? First job. Okay. Was, like, take us back to the very beginning. Okay, you well, know the beginning of... was like first job was different. First job was high school. Yeah. McDonald's. So, tell me you about know, that. Like, yeah. Like, so I worked at McDonald's six, when I was sixteen. That was my first job. Um, I think uh, I'm very grateful for it because I learned how to cook. I, I worked in the kitchen, and um, and now like I'm I grill a mean burger, and I really think is from then. Like I, I don't really know how to cook much else other than what's on the barbecue, and it's no coincidence I worked at McDonald's first job, and now 
everybody loves my burgers at the house. So, so yeah, that was the first job. Um, but that was when I was 16. Then mm -hmm. fast forward to maybe about 10 years later is when we, um, when me and my brother started what's now Shots Podcast Network is our, pretty much our YouTube network. You know, in 2000, I always get the years mixed up. I think it was end of 2008, so that's why we say 2009. I'm gonna say it was like November 2008. So, sure. so really it was 2009 by the time everything got up and running. Uh, we created a YouTube network. Um, we wanted to get people that we knew um, onto YouTube, uh, like maybe like more like athletes, people in the world of sports. And, um, and back then there wasn't any other social media outside of YouTube. You know, Facebook was out, but Facebook was very private, mostly schools. There was no public profiles on Facebook yet. There was no Instagram yet. There was no Snap. Um, Twitter was out. Um, Twitter had just come out, I want to mm -hmm. say. It was brand, brand new. So those were really the two social media outlets was YouTube and Twitter. So... So that's, you know, I've always had a passion for YouTube. YouTube's always yeah. been my thing. What did you see in it back then? Because back then, a lot of people were dismissive about yeah. it. It was really just these, like, random one-off viral videos. There weren't really any channels that people would follow. Not really influencers. No. No, no, no. Back then was, like, Charlie bit my finger. I think like, right. that was, like, what YouTube was known for. Um, you know, so, so in between McDonald's and this, it was, like, a, probably a 10-year window, 11-year window, and... Um, um, we had another company that was an agency for DirecTV. We did DirecTV outsource our agency to come up with creative marketing for them, mostly around the NFL Sunday ticket, the football program. And um, so we would always do market research on who a DirecTV customer is, how DirecTV is growing, where DirecTV is growing, um, competition, which was mostly uh, the cable uh, industry or, or uh, Dish Network mm -hmm. at the time. Uh, but there was always this, like, every quarter, there was always this, like, this um, this competitor that was growing, and it was always categorized as other. And, like, other was, like, 1%, went to 2%, 3%, and what other was internet TV and was YouTube. Mm -hmm. You know, YouTube was, but, like, no one cared. And I always asked, wait, well, hey, what is other? Don't worry about other. You know, we're going after cable. We're going after Dish Network. So... That's when I said, all right, there's something growing here. People are going to start watching things online. People are going to start streaming. Uh, you know, the iPhone had just come out around then. A couple of years later, the iPad came out. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, that, I forgot the years, man. But I'm going to say the iPad came out in like 2011, 2010. And that's when we're like, all right, this is a thing. Like, people are going to start creating content on the Internet. And they're probably going to do it mostly on YouTube. Um, we got to be, we got to learn this business. So by YouTube network, do you mean more like a, a management company where you find people that you think would be good for YouTube, for the influencer space, and then you start making YouTube videos for them, producing yeah. them and stuff? Um, so I think um, management's, yeah, I think it's like more managing the channel, like educating people on how to get on YouTube. You know, as you guys know this too. It's like, right. it's not easy to onboard onto YouTube. Creating your first video is not easy. Creating Creating accounts easy. Everyone's got an account. Yeah. You know, if you got a Gmail account, you have a YouTube account. But doing that first upload is not easy. What do I upload? When do right. I upload? And now it's like, to, you know, fast forward to 2023 is like, how often do I upload? What days do I upload? How long does the content have to be? How do I collaborate, cross promote, break into other? How do I get? It's you know, because at the end of the day, man, like us, you guys, it's always us versus the algorithm. What is the algorithm looking for? Oh.
Although before we go into that, we got to thank our sponsor. As I was saying, Graham, building your credit score is something you should be doing as early as possible. But maybe you're a college student and you don't like the idea of getting a credit card and taking on extra debt. Jack, you know I'm not in college. What are you talking about? Well, Graham, with today's sponsor, Fizz, you can build your credit without having to worry about the debt that comes with it. Wait, are we filming right now? Who turned the cameras on? Graham, stick to the script and just tell them how Fizz works. Um, well, Fizz is the debit card that builds credit and earns cash back. They give you a credit limit based on the money in your bank account, and with their auto pay feature, your bill is paid off automatically every month. Another really cool thing, Graham, is that Fizz makes their money entirely off of merchant interchange, not from their cardholders. So you can enjoy all of the benefits without any hidden fees or charges. Fizz reports your activity to all three major credit bureaus, helping you build your credit score the same way as a normal credit card would. No credit check, security deposit, or co-signers required. So sign up for Fizz today and you can instantly get it on Apple Pay. Plus, you'll receive a beautiful first edition Fizz card shipped right to you. And if you want some free money as an exclusive offer, the first 1,000 people that sign up with the code ICEDCOFFEE get $10 for free. So don't miss out on the offer. The link is down below in the description. And now, let's get to the podcast. One of the other things that we had in the past was um, during DirecTV is we did a lot of the Google marketing for DirecTV. So I learned the Google al algorithm and how to SEO pages for DirecTV. And we just knew how Google worked. And when Google bought YouTube, it was pretty much the same, um, kind of the same formula for discoverability. I don't know if the same teams are writing the algorithm, but um, they're very, I mean, it's, it's pretty clear that they're exchanging notes. So that's one thing that we've always, we learned at DirecTV and once we started realizing, wait a minute, like we're learning YouTube, but this is actually pretty easy. And everyone's saying, well, it's not that easy. Like, how do you get here? How do you get that? How do you rank, um, get ranked? And um, then we realized like this, those same things that help you rank on Google are the same ones that help you rank on YouTube. So you basically, you studied the analytics, how to be successful on YouTube, provided all of the infrastructure and logistical support for people you thought would be good on YouTube. And that was the, the network you were building. Yeah. Yeah, so we would look, in the very beginning, we used to look at who were some of the most searched people on YouTube. Um, obviously, there were big names at the time. You know, I don't remember who, but you know, I'm sure, you know, whoever was famous and popular in 2008, 2009. Um, but there were also, but who were in our world that we knew, who were the classics? Um, and I knew Mike Tyson. so. A lot of people search Mike Tyson on YouTube. Mike Tyson knockouts, Mike Tyson funny moments, Mike Tyson hangover scene. And I said, wait, people are already searching for Mike. They're finding all this old content. What if we created new content while they're searching Mike and had these, this content rank higher? So we started creating content with Mike Tyson. Now, how did you know Mike Tyson? Where does that come from? Mike, I met, so Floyd Mayweather was someone else as well. People would watch Floyd Mayweather fights, mm -hmm. and um, same thing. Floyd Mayweather, like he had a show on Showtime at or HBO at the time, and it, his clips would be all over YouTube. So people, you know, and he would say crazy things. So people were searching Floyd Mayweather. So we launched Floyd's channel, and um, there was a lady, Tammy Brooke, who represented Mike, and she was interested in working with Floyd. So she reached out to me. I was pretty much a point of contact for Floyd. And um, it's pretty much, hey, like, you know, I'd love to meet Floyd. I work with Mike Tyson. I was like, oh, well, actually, I got something for Mike. Like, yeah. what do you think about getting Mike on YouTube and on Twitter? And she's like, well, you're going to have to talk to Mike's wife. Spoke to Mike's wife, uh, Kiki. Um, Kiki, to this day, has become like a really good friend of mine. And she's uh, it's always been a forward thinker. She's like, 
this sounds actually pretty interesting. Let's do it. So met through this mutual person. How did you know Floyd? Let's let's like, circle back yeah. for yeah. for viewers or listeners who may not know anything about you, who you are, what you do and everything. Yeah. You were telling me right before we turned the cameras on that you dropped out of high school. Let's tell the chronological story from dropping out of high school, why you yeah. dropped out, to getting to know Floyd Mayweather and getting him on YouTube. Yeah. So I, I dropped out of high school, but you know, I, I dropped out in a like kind of a bonehead moment. Like, I dropped out like two weeks left of high school. And, I was, and um, there was like one final test I had to take and I just didn't want to take it. Like I just, I, I was like, <laughs> I didn't like the teacher. I was like, I'm not taking this test. Were you a good student? Uh, I was okay. I was mm -hmm. a stubborn student. Like I was like, I don't know what was wrong with me, man, honestly. Like when I think of myself back then, I, like I was a stubborn student. I was a stubborn athlete. Like I was really good at sports, but I didn't show up to practice. Like, I don't know. I what was, were you doing otherwise? I, I, I just wanted to get out of that world and start a business. Like, that's all I ever wanted. I wanted to start my, like, I wanted to own a business is what I wanted to do. And I had this idea and this vision. You know, I was, I was going to high school in the late 90s. Cell phones were becoming popular. Mm -hmm. People were buying cell phones. And uh, cell phones were... Uh, <clears throat> It had become a reasonable price, like a price where a price point where someone mm -hmm. that wasn't super rich and driving a Ferrari could afford. And um, you know, I think Nokia's, you know, got Nokia phones had come out and like they broke the $200 price point. And I was like, dude, all my friends are gonna buy cell phones soon, and they're gonna end up with a phone number. I want to establish everyone's phone numbers. I want to get them all cell phones. I want to be the guy. I want to be the plug for cell phones. Because, and then so I went to, um, at that time it was Pacific Bell Wireless that turned into Singular and now it's become AT&T. And I pretty much did a deal with them. I said, hey, I'm gonna sign up hundreds of people in Orange County to, for cell phone service. Um, I want a commission for every single person and I want a percentage of the bill. Where do you think that entrepreneurial spirit came from? Did you like watch content or, or media or whatever about entrepreneurship? No, I never watched anything. There was never really content back then. We're talking about like 1998 right now, so there was no really content to watch online. Um, I think there was two things that really um, kind of inspired me. Um, one was um, I always loved Steve Jobs, and there was a movie about Steve Jobs. It was a fictional movie. I don't even think it was authorized called uh, yeah. Pirates of Silicon Valley. It was kind of a beef between Steve Jobs and Bill Gates. And um, that was one movie I guess I would watch that maybe inspired me. But I learned actually, you know what's crazy is like as close as I am with Mike Tyson and all the stuff I've done with Mike and Kiki, they came to my wedding a few months ago. They were the first person when we got married. Like they were literally standing there. Like it was like the most beautiful moment. But what's crazy is like I actually got my entrepreneurship when I was younger. I used to love Mike Tyson so much, but we couldn't afford fights. So I would go and I would sell candy in elementary school to make money and give that money to my mom and say, mom, here, I made 25 bucks or 30 bucks, whatever it costs, watch Mike Tyson fight. And I was like, can we please buy the Mike Tyson fight? I'm gonna pay for it. Now, you know, I'm talking about when I was like 11, yeah. 10, 11 years old, we would go to like, like some of these like wholesale grocery stores at the time, uh, I think it was Smart and Final. And I would go and buy like a box of like Airheads or Reese's and I would buy them and I would sell them at school. And I was the, I was the candy plug at school mm -hmm. you know a lot of people are saying yeah i used to sell weed when i was in high school yeah not me i used to sell chocolate and like bubble gum and and i would do it and i wasn't doing it to make money i was doing it really so i could watch a mike tyson fight 
So, which is crazy, it's like full circle now. I've never even told him like the story, but that's like where I think at like 10, 11 years old, I got my entrepreneurship was from then. That's unreal. Did you ever get in trouble selling candy? All the kids in my school ended up getting in trouble for that. I don't think, I, you know, um, um, I always went by the motto NBC. I was NBC, never been caught. <laughs> All right. You know? I, Never been caught. I was Mr. NBC. Really? It's funny because I feel like a lot of the people where we ask where their entrepreneurial spirit came from or when they first showed signs of it, everybody says they sold candy at school. Really? Yeah. So if you yeah. sold candy at school yeah, and you're a we're viewer, ba- we're banking on you. Good we're, signs for yeah. your future. We're, we're exactly. investing yeah. in you. That's funny. Okay, so you decided to drop out with two weeks left. What was the next step from, from dropping out? Next step out was uh, getting this deal with AT&T. And they um, accepted it. They accepted it. Um, How do they it, trust you though? Because you must be like 17, barely turning. No, I was 18. I was, yeah, I was, I was 18. I was a little older. I've always come off as like kind of a genuine guy. Like you know, always you know. So I, I, someone, someone trusted me. I I don't really remember. Um, um, one thing I do do remember though, I never got the deal direct. So they were giving out licenses for like people to open up cell phone stores. I never got a deal direct. So I actually worked underneath someone else. Mm. Um, so I was a. Um, there's authorized dealers, then there were sub dealers. So I worked underneath this other guy that took like, um, you know, he actually took care of me. He almost like passed through the entire commission. So, um, so I worked underneath him, and um, eventually to a point where I ended up going direct with Directv. Or I'm sorry, with with AT&T. And then later on, I took that same model to Directv, and I said, hey, like this is what I do for AT&T right now. I call it AT&T because that's what it is now. Yeah. Back then, it was called Singular. Um, but, um, and then I, yeah, pretty much started doing the same thing with DirecTV. DirecTV said, hey, like, we want to do more with you, like, you know, because I was coming up with all these ideas. Like, like my team, which my team was me and my brother, like, you know, and, and, you know, and one other guy, Aaron Mathis, that works with us. Um, you know, we, we came up with, like, you know, one of the first things we came up with, we went to the uh, U.S. Postal Office, and we said, hey, what if we put, like, flyers in... Uh, inside the envelopes when someone moves when they're doing mail forwarding and we'll pay for the envelopes we're not gonna pay for that but we'll pay for the envelope so we'll take that expense of the envelopes off your plate but when someone moves we want a flyer in there now now you get it all the time it's like when you move you get like alarm service local landscaping and all that stuff but we were the first people to ever do that with direct TV because that's one of the first things people do when they move they turn on electricity water gas television service yep that's interesting because nowadays I feel like the landscape is completely different. Like if I want, if I came up with some way to improve Amazon or something like that, I can't just like go and start working for them as a contractor or something like that or have a, some affiliate. I guess I could do it with like Amazon affiliates and stuff like that. Yeah. But I feel like it's it's just different. It's more detached. Well, I mean, the internet's different because now you have a lot of competition because almost anyone could build an Amazon store, could create a brand on Instagram or TikTok or Twitter or whatever. Um, but now it's more about like what are you doing to really stand out more. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you guys, for instance, like think about it. Like you guys stand out far more than most podcasters. You know, it's like you guys are obviously doing something different. So it's just the internet's really changed things. You know, back then this is this is like the internet first came out. But we're talking about Web One. You know, like you know, this is like the websites that were relevant. I don't like I don't even know if Google was out yet or Google had just come out. Like you know, I'm talking about like. Yahoo, eBay, Amazon, those days, you know. Yeah. How much were you making back doing, uh, you know, DirecTV, AT&T? You know, I've always had this good problem where 
whatever I made, I put back into the business, which yeah. is where we're at today too. So um, it's hard to say like what I profited, but you know, I made good enough money, you know. Um, eventually we opened up stores. So overhead was there, you mm -hmm. know, started racking up, uh, you know, um, stores inside retail shopping centers next to, because our thing was we want to open up stores next to grocery stores. So, um, and they were in Orange County. So like, you know, now you're talking about rent, you're talking about employee staffing, insurance. And were you just bringing people in to sign them up for DirecTV? Direct, well, cell phone. So we had the cell phone stores, yeah. and then the cell phone stores happened to sell direct TV as well. Got it. Yeah. Okay. And did they have any problem with just kind of some random guy opening up a store with their branding, with their name and everything? No, they allowed it. So, essentially represented them in yeah. some capacity. This was pre, what you see now is almost all the stores you see are almost all corporate owned now. Mm -hmm. So be, back then, they actually let you put up their sign and everything. Your, the window, on your window, you had to put a sticker that said authorized retailer or authorized dealer. Um, but the signage, they actually encouraged you, they actually paid for our signs. Or so our signs outside of our buildings also singular and they actually would reimburse us to put their logos out. Wow. Eventually they bought out most of us and almost everyone I was a dealer and almost all the stores you see now were initially um, dealer stores or uh, retailers, uh, you know, sub, uh, uh, authorized retailers, but um, there's always this like word, like some, some didn't like being called dealers, so they call this retailers. I, I, it was always, it was like 20 years ago, I'm still confused on what we were called, but eventually they came and bought us all out and that's when they started, when they started buying us out, um, because if you didn't sell to them, they would open up a store across the street from you. Oh, okay. So we were like, all right, we're just... Then they could undercut because they don't have to yeah. pay the commission and everything. Yeah, but then like, now they, they launched a website and the website, you know, nearest store, they didn't put your address, they put their address. So they would do little shit like that. And to a point I was like, I don't know if I want to play this game. It's, been, it's ran its course. It's been like five or six years now. DirecTV wants to do all this other stuff with us now, the marketing, NFL Sunday ticket, get in the world of sports. The world of sports has been something that I've always been the most fascinated with. Um, so I was like, I want to be in the world of sports. And if DirecTV is going to let us do the marketing for NFL Sunday ticket and, you know, a lot of like the, like we created the whole, the entire strategy of DirecTV and bars was something that me and my brother created. So when you now see UFC or football games at the bars, or you see like a giant sign at, at a bar that says NFL Sunday ticket carried here. We created that whole model for them. And so to me, that's the business I wanted to be in. And so DirecTV let us do that. So they kind of gave us an open checkbook. They're like, we, we trust that you're gonna do this right. You know, the only thing we ask is focus on concentrated markets which is funny, which is where we're at now with DirecTV. It's like focus on existing markets, own those markets, and go one market at a time. Hmm. So, and we'll talk about how, you know, how Happy Dad is doing that same thing. And it's like, you know, one might ask why you're in 16 states, not all. So I kind of go in that DirecTV model that we had learned is like focusing on certain markets, owning those markets, and then opening up the market after market. So did you end up selling those cell phone stores back to the, the companies? Can you say how much you were selling them for? <sighs> It wasn't much. It wasn't. Any, I don't even remember. But, but you was, had to be doing well, right, for them we, to like. We were doing all right, all but it funding. wasn't a crazy money. It was enough money, low millions. So like it wasn't like crazy money. It was like maybe two 
two million dollars or something like that. Two million dollars. Yeah, yeah Dude, I was, I like, was like, thinking like a few hundred grand. Yeah, when <laughs> no, you were no. saying like it wasn't crazy, I was like, what, like two hundred we grand? Were, yeah, that's what I was <laughs> no, no, we were crushing it. We were. No, I would like, imagine. Yeah, yeah, we were crushing it. We could have been a lot bigger, but we just didn't. But that have was the revenue. Passion. Yeah. And you said you were cycling everything back into the business, so you yeah. were growing. I, I would Still, assume that's pretty substantial. But then again, after tax. Yeah, but if you trimmed down the overhead and everything, which I'm sure you could have, and didn't cycle it all back, you probably could have taken a pretty hefty profit. Probably. The, the problem was the passion wasn't there. And yeah. to me, like, if the passion's not there, I don't give a shit what it is. You know, like, like I don't even remember the exact number, to be honest, because, like, I just didn't care about that yeah. business. But I wanted to get in this world of sports really bad. Like, I wanted to get in, which goes to the question of, like, how did you meet me? Whether I wanted to be in the world of sports, and DirecTV was allowing me to, so I wanted to do that. But I'm curious, because you were in your 20s at this point, how in your 20s did you justify putting everything back into the business versus just like, I'm going to take some money out, I'm going to have a great time, I'm going to live it up? Definitely had a great time and lived it up, that's for sure. <laughs> like, yeah, I did, you know. But living it up is a little different. You know, like, like, I'm living it up right now. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, like, when you guys said, like, you know, we're setting up, I'm like, you have anything else? Like, no. Like, I'm living it up today. Like, cool. living it up to me is like a simple life. I've always been a minimalist. So living it up to me is a little bit different than most people. Sure. Um, so, I mean, I still had a good time. You know, I was in my 20s. I, you know, bought a, the house I wanted. You know, I've always been a simple guy when it comes to automobiles. Like, I've never been a sports car guy. So, like, I think I got a um, Chevy Tahoe at the time. That was, like, my dream car. Got it. You know, so, like. What do you drive now? I have an Escalade. So, it's like a Tahoe, but. Yeah. You know, yeah. Little, yeah. You know. But I, that, that's all I drive. You know, Steve's always like, dude, if you like S SUVs, you should get the SUV Bentley. No. <laughs> like, well, one is I'm very loyal to GM. Yeah. Like I'm, like it's got to be a GM product. So I've only driven. Could you Tahoe, the Hummer, the Hummer EV would be fantastic, man. I saw one at the gym the other day. They're massive. <laughs> you look tempted. Yeah, they are I saw massive, one at the gym dude. the other day. I, I'm just the only time I'm gonna probably switch from GM is when Cybertruck comes out. Right. Okay, sure. Yeah, okay. I'm little, sure. So I don't I don't want to, you know. And by the way, the Hummer right now is like. I, I called my buddy RD from Wires Only. I was like, "How much are they?" They're like, "They're a hundred thousand over yeah. sticker." I'm like, "Dude, I'm yeah, not, they're like okay. two twenty well, right back now. to them. Yeah. yeah, I'm not paying a hundred grand. Like, I don't want it that bad. Like, yeah. Escalade's pretty sick. I mean, yeah. mine is filling up gas, but yeah. fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, so how do you get in sports from all of that? So you like, you sold these businesses. Why did you want to go to the next thing? Didn't. Did any part of you just want to say, "Hey, you know, let me just chill for a little bit. I got some cash in the bank. I don't need much." No, no, I wanted to, when I, when I want to do something, like, there's no stopping. Like, it's no cash, no nothing. Like, when I want to, you know, when I got, like, going back to the high school thing, right, like, I dropped out with two weeks left because I want to start this business. So when I want to start something, like, there's nothing. I don't know if it's OCD. I don't know what it is. But once something triggers, like, I can't undo it, and I have to go get it done. So what was that thing for you when it comes to sports? Being in the world of football and NFL like now like you know with doing all this marketing for direct TV and the Sunday ticket like I've got a relationship with the NFL now I got a relationship with all the teams um, and then you know you're meeting players you're doing like coming up with ideas for like commercials and stuff like that like they brought in all these you know the NBA league pass um, forgot what the NASCAR one was but there was NASCAR and like anytime they brought on these new leagues or these new like league packages with with the sports leagues like they kind of brought it, put it, brought it to me. Like, hey, like, listen, we just did a deal with NASCAR. What do you think about doing the marketing, getting all the bars and restaurants on board? I'm in. I'm in. Like anything when it comes to sports. The one person I really, really looked up to 
like who inspired me was Mark Cuban. So I just loved Mark Cuban. I think sports entrepreneurs in general are like, I don't know, like I feel like they're so underrated. I was thinking about that the other day. Like, you know, when we did the um, Michael Rubin podcast, I don't know if you guys saw that with Full Send. Full Send's done one with them, the Pivot's done one with them, and it's like, dude, it's just like sports entrepreneurs, Dana White, mm-hmm. even David Portnoy. Yeah. David Portnoy is a very, very underrated entrepreneur, you know, because people look at him more of an internet personality than they do, but like Barstool Sports is pretty. Did they sell? They sold, yeah. Was it $550 million? I, I, I don't remember. It was. The, it was like 380 for the remaining amount, but then like I don't I don't remember what the first amount was. Yeah. Um, whatever it is, man, like Barstool is like, it's so, Barstool is so powerful, man. Like, and um, that's like, I mean, Portnoy's got to, he always gives credit to his team, but like, that's him. Like, it starts with him, and then he built that team. So, you know, guys like him, Dana White, you know, like I said, Mark Cuban, Michael Rubin, like these guys, like, just like sports entrepreneurs have always been like someone that I've always looked up to. So, so you were selling all of these, it was cable packages with, with cable, and you were doing well, and you got presented with all these different opportunities when they came out with a NASCAR package, I'm sure a UFC package, and you were doing all the marketing for yeah. all of those new releases. So they would pay us per new subscriptions, bar, bar, commercial subscriptions. So and it was an affiliate. Yeah, so there was the affiliate side, but then on a separate side, they gave us a crazy marketing budget to mm-hmm. create marketing material as well for, the, for ourselves, but for other um, affiliates as well. Mm-hmm. So, they, so it was like two businesses that we had with DirecTV at the same time. Yeah, so we and one was up, telling, selling to businesses, one was selling to consumers. The, there was one signing, selling to businesses, and then there was one like doing the marketing for it. Like, oh, got it. These things, you know what I mean? Like these things, like all like uh, point of sale items that went into the bars. Um, um, eventually, radio ads, TV ads, we saw, oversaw the creative for that, which helped the whole empire. So like. You know, you, so you could have been affiliate, you could have been affiliate, and we had different ways to re- reach out to like, say like a TGI Fridays and sign up TGI Fridays. Uh, first person go who got it, got the money from it and a percentage of the bill. Um, but we were the ones that w- you would come to as well and be like, hey, listen, I signed up, I know I'm your competitor, I signed up TGI Fridays, but do you have any of these posters and these blow ups that we could give them, these banners? Um, yeah, yeah, we yeah we got all those. So, you know, we'll ship them out to you. Just give us. So we so we had like two sides of our business: the marketing side for the bars and restaurants for yep. sports packages, but then also like we if we signed up, that they would give you like a bounty of like I forgot the dollar amount, probably a couple thousand dollars per an account. And and what was crazy is ten percent of the bill, which oh, was whoa. crazy. That's a lot. Ten percent of the bill, and. Bill, the bill was all based off fire code occupancy when it's commercial. No so, way. Yeah, so the bigger the place based off their fire wow. code, the bigger the bill. So some of these pe- people may have ordered a fight for like $4,500, you know, because their bar restaurant holds 300, 400, 500 people, and we would get 10% of that plus whatever they're paying monthly for their, all wow. the other packages. It's a good business to be in. It was very nice. Oh. But it ran its course. Right, sure. because you know, even though it still exists and bars still have it, we saw that same writing on the wall. We saw with the cell phone companies. Wait, wait, they're learning from us. They're they're asking me a lot of questions. They're gonna eventually do this right. in-house. They're paying us. I forgot the dollar amount it was ridiculous. Sure. Ridiculous. Made that two million dollars nothing. That's why I don't even really? remember it. Um, but um, saw the writing on the wall, but also saw this whole 
growth of YouTube at the time. I was like, wait a minute, so they're going to screw us. Me meanwhile, there's a competitor coming to them, and it's pretty much free television on the internet. Like, we're not going to make money off of this for a very, very long time. Very long time, like, to this day. Like, I'm still not making crazy money. But let's get into that business. And uh, this is better long-term, the free the free, uh, the free service, which is YouTube. So what was your title doing, being the, the marketer for cable? Or, and there was, was there a bunch of other people doing the same thing that you were doing? Affiliates, there was a gazillion affiliates. Um, I think we ranked like top three of all the, like there was probably, I don't know, a thousand affiliates. What was the company? That you're... It was called Direct One, is, was the name of our company. Yeah. So, so we were a company that had a contract with DirecTV, and then we did their marketing as well separately. That was yeah. a retainer. Okay. That, that we were on a retainer. So there was no nobody else doing the marketing for it. It was just us for a while. Eventually they were hiring people in-house to learn and ask us questions. How did business. you get so good at doing that in sales? Were you just naturally a salesperson? Yeah, you know, I think really just learning at an early age how to, right, like if I bought a box of Reese's Buttercups I had to unload that thing. I couldn't like go back home and eat it. Like I mean, and I, and I was doing that at times, right? And I was a fat kid because of it. Like you know, because you know, like it, you know, I wouldn't sell. I was you know, so I had it. Like you had to go out there and actually like hustle and unload these things and do two for one specials, three for one specials. You know what I mean? Like stuff like that. Um, you know, to unload that so I could watch the Mike Tyson fight. Yeah. So you say it was just a gradual increase in knowledge. There was no, no book you read, no, nothing no. you consumed that like really. Helped you out? Um, I've only read two books my whole life. What books? Uh, Charlotte's Web and um, Art of War. Did you like them? Uh, Charlotte's Web was nice, it was sad. <laughs> These uh, are two totally opposite books. Yeah. I'm thinking like two business books or something. Like, yeah, sure. uh, Charlotte's Web was sad. Art of War, I think, is a very good book. Um, it's very hard to read. Um, I had to re I've read it, I've read it a, a number of times, but it's really hard to understand. Um, so I've had to go and like, kind of break down, and I actually made like my own cliff notes of it. So like now I share it, like I sent Steve will do it the other day. I was like, hey, like this is a book. I don't think you're gonna understand the book. It's very, very hard to read because uh, it's translated from Chinese, from yeah. Mandarin. So, um, but here are some cliff notes. What are some of the cliff notes? Like what's the big takeaway from that book that you got? I think patience. Yeah? I think patience. Um, I think there's a lot of things in business, you know, you gotta learn is, um, I mean, you know, it's, it's really based off some military, you guys know about it? No, I know of the book. Okay, I mean it's a lot of like Chinese military antics. So one would be, I'm not saying we would practice this, but I'm saying like you know, when an enemy's resting, you attack. When an enemy is going crazy, you rest. You know what I mean? And but don't let them know you're resting. You know, like little mm -hmm. things like that. When you just think you're like, damn, that was fucking deep. Like yeah, like if. You know, like don't don't react to it. You know, don't re don't react to, you know. I mean, in today's world, enemy could be, you know. They they word it as enemy, but it could also be, you know, your competitor. It could be someone you're negotiating with. It could be a distributor. It could be anything. You know, a retailer. Um, but it's all. You know, I think being patient and really understanding the world of business, sitting back, not not reacting so much, uh, is something that I've always learned. Is like. I will, like I, when it comes to business, one thing I don't ever do is I don't make sudden decisions. I sit back th and think. I don't react to pressure. Um, you know, if something, if someone wants something right away, um, 
I sit back and see why do you want it what, right away? When is the right time? Uh, I don't believe life is short. I believe life is long. I think anything, you know, the, the case of um, Happy Dad, you know, um, I think this would be a great example is Happy Dad's available in 16 states. Everyone like, dude, you gotta be in all 50 states. And you gotta be there now. And you have to be in Canada. And you have to be in the UK. And you gotta be in Australia. Like, no. Like, we're gonna be in 16 states, and we're gonna be great at it, and we're gonna launch the next five. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out that way. But we're gonna do it that way. And we're gonna do it the slow, pro easy way. We're not gonna, this is not an overnight thing. That's something I've always learned in business in general is like, life is long, life is not short. Like, everything's gonna work out, so. It's kind of like the Apple approach. Like they don't release everything super quickly. Right. They take their time and when they do release it, they nail it, you know? I think that's a very, I think they've done a very great job of, um, w with that model. I think um, some of the most successful social networks have done that. I think like, like YouTube for instance, like the YouTube um, interface. Mm -hmm. um, if you look at the YouTube interface four years ago, eight years ago, 12 years ago, they all look completely different, but you almost forget how different they look. Yeah. You know, they make these subtle changes right. so that you don't freak out. Because if you make these subtle changes right away, people freak out, they give their opinions, all this stuff. But, you know, when, we make, when you make drastic changes, but when you make these subtle changes, people don't really notice. And then they sit back eventually and you let people sit and let things simmer. And that's something I've always believed in, is like just relaxing. And that's what Art of War has taught me, is mm. like just, you know, you don't need to react. You don't need to attack right away. Just sit back, think about it, and attack when ready. Studying war tactics for business is, is interesting. I've heard like, it's a great book for business, though. Identifying and capitalizing on opportunity. Yeah. Very similar, I feel like, between business and war. Yeah. So what do you think of the way Elon is running Twitter then? Because it's like the polar opposite of, you know, move calculatedly and slowly. Yeah. He's very much like go 100% in this direction. If it doesn't work out, you pivot, oh, he, you go yeah. this direction. He'll get idea of some comments. I've seen a lot of these where people have just tweeted at him, hey, I think you should do this, and he'll respond back, actually, I kind of like that. Yeah, we'll start doing that. Like the next day it's implemented. Yeah. I think he's learned from that. You know, I think he's not doing that as much as he was when he first bought the company. And, um, late October, early November. I think he was making s sudden decisions and he kind of learned that maybe that's not the move. Um, you know, the problem, the, I think the difference between like Twitter and like say like Tesla or SpaceX is like if he has a p idea for Tesla or SpaceX, he'll go to the teams and say, hey, like I got this idea for this rocket at SpaceX. And they're like, oh, that's a good idea. Uh, we'll come back to you in, in a year when that's done. You know, where like, you know, here, like he goes straight to the engineers and tell them like, hey, I want to get this done, mm -hmm. done now. And it's, you know, and, you know, and it happens. And I think now, he, I think he's realizing, because if you notice, it's the rollouts now are being thought through a lot more. So I think he's realizing, wait a minute, I can't do that. I got to think through these a lot more. And Twitter... Um, now in you know February and March, it, they're not making as many changes as they were before, um, drastic changes. You yeah. know, um, I think he's really thinking through it. I think he's realizing that because he is a longer-term thinker. I don't know if it's by choice or he has no other, he, or, or he has no other uh, option because like you know to come up with a new idea for a Tesla or for SpaceX is going to be months and months and months. So, like he had no other choice but to wait six months for a new idea for a Tesla or whatever. Yeah. 
how did you meet Floyd Mayweather? I mean, that seems like such a huge business connection and yeah. contact. Well, that, that goes back to the world of sports. It's right. a sport, it's a business I wanted to be in. I wanted to be in the world of sports and DirecTV led me to that. You know, he, there were a lot of different promo stuff that we were doing around some of his fights. And, um, and we just kind of, we just met. We, at first we were working through his promotions company, uh, Mayweather Promotions, and then eventually, um, you know, I think he just, somehow, some way, somebody had told him about me and my brother, and he said, I want to meet these guys. I don't know if it was an idea or what it was, something that he saw that we were working on, and he was like, I want to know about these guys, and I want to meet them. And, um, and we were reached out, and I, I think it was the head of his promotions company, Leonard Ellerby, was like, hey, like, the champ wants to meet you guys. Can you be in Vegas? And I said, yeah, sure. And we met with him, and... You did not say, yeah, sure. You probably were like stoked right like what was your actual reaction to like hearing Floyd May Mayweather like wants to meet you you know I don't remember I don't remember being crazy excited if Floyd hit me up I would be like if Floyd hit me up I, dude yeah. I don't even know my mind would go blank I'd start panicking I'd be like, yeah what's cool? you know what's crazy like, everything well, yeah. what's crazy is like just getting to know him now it's like I get more excited when he calls me now than ever but because uh, we don't talk as much yeah. anymore um, obviously I've been busy he's been busy so but, um, but yeah, I just don't remember being crazy excited. Um, it's just amazing how yeah. nonchalant you are about yeah. like this career, which yeah. seems very tumultuous, but also like incredibly exciting. You're making crazy yeah. money at a young age. <laughs> very You're, like, humble. Very yeah, humble, extremely yeah. humble. Skyrocketed yeah. to success. Not yeah. skyrocketed. I shouldn't say yeah. that. But like you know, you grinded hard and you did incredible things. Someone asked me the other day. It's like, hey, like, what's the secret to working with all these people, right? Like. You name the person, I've worked with them or did something with them or I know them, right? What's the secret? And I think the really secret is just like being yourself. Like I'm myself, like the way I, with you guys or anyone, anyone I meet, you know, anyone that, you know, a family member or Floyd Mayweather, Kyle Forjard, you know, Logan Paul, whoever it is, like I'm, I'm, I'm me, you know what I mean? Like I don't really change. A lot of people, I've seen people be around them where like they're one person, and then they see someone of influence or some sort of, you know, or even Elon. Like, I'm like, I've got a great relationship with Elon. And like, I always wonder, like, why? Why does he, like, I'll get a random text from him. And like, and I'm just like, dude, I'm probably like the only, like, kind of normal person he knows. Everyone's kissing his ass or pitching him on something or whatever. Um, I pitch him. I pitch him on coming back on Full Send Podcast Part Two. Like, you know, but, um, but other than that, which he said he would do. Yeah. He said it has to be on Twitter Spaces first. So, I gotta come through on that. How did you meet Elon? Met Elon, um, met Elon in 2013, 10 years ago. Um, I met Elon, he, um, he wanted to go to a Mayweather fight, speaking of Mayweather, and, um, and I was already going with, to the fight with Bieber, with Justin Bieber, and he said, hey, like, if you and Bieber wanna come on my plane, like, we'd love to meet you guys, and you know, we could fly together. And um, believe it or not, I had to, convince Bieber to do that he's like nah it's good. I'm good I'm, I'll fly on my own I'm like bro come on like come on he's like he didn't really know who Elon was like he knew because the Tesla was like out but like 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 he knew him as the guy who just sold PayPal you know yeah. so um so yeah so that, yeah that's how that's how I met him we went to a Mayweather fight together now you have a funny story I think you should tell it here about Elon Musk and Justin Bieber on that flight which part the one where he was late. 
So yeah, so some convincing. This all happened on a fr the fights on a Saturday. Yeah. We're supposed to fly out Saturday morning, and this all happened on a Friday night. Uh, my buddy Shervin called me and said, "Hey, like I got Elon Musk on the phone." I'm like, "Okay," and he's like, "Yeah, we want to go to the Mayweather fight tomorrow. Can you make it happen?" And I was like, "Actually, we're already leaving with Bieber in the morning." And he's like, well, why don't we all go together? And I pretty much said yes. I spoke for Justin. I didn't think it would have to be convincing. So I was like, yeah, of course, we'd love that. You know, later I'd have, you know, so, so Justin didn't, didn't want to do it at first. So he just wanted to go on his own. Like, Justin's a very independent guy. He's Justin Bieber. Like, no one really impresses him. Like, it doesn't matter who it is. Like, <laughs> yeah. he's in his own world, even yeah. these days, right? He's in his own world. He just hangs out with his wife. Like, that's it. So, um... So I, I forgot the time, it was like 10 a.m. taking off. And um, uh, I get there, of course, on time. And, and Elon's there already. My brother Sam was with me, Shervin, my buddy, good friend of mine who put the whole thing together. And then um, Justin's running late. And I'm like, and I'm calling him, his phone's dead. So I'm calling security and I'm like, where are you guys at? He's like, yeah, we're like 20 minutes out. All right. All right, and uh, I was like, can I talk to Justin? He's like, Justin's in the other car. I'm like, other car? How many cars? He's like, oh, we got a couple cars. And then I'm like, oh, God. I'm in the car, like, I didn't, like, I kind of like, I'm in the, I'm like kind of low-key freaking out, but I'm like next to Elon, so I'm trying to play it cool. I was like, yeah, 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 okay, I'll see you in a bit. So I see him, like, 10 minutes later, they roll up, and I'm looking outside. We're all on the plane, we're ready to go. And it's two, three car loads. There's only a, so Elon had his kids on the plane, um, his lady at the time, a um, couple other, his brother, Kimball, was on there. Uh, so the plane's already kind of packed, and Justin's rolling up in an entourage. So I run out, I'm like, dude, what's going on? He's like, well, didn't you say this guy just sold PayPal? And I said, yeah. He's like, well, what kind of plane are we talking about here? I'm like, bro, like, he's got his whole family, like, you can't bring all your buddies, like, and he's like, all right, well, I'm leaving. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, please, please, please. So, um, so Elon comes out. He's like, hey, everything okay? I was like, yeah, Justin didn't know, like, how many spaces left. He's like, well, don't worry about it. I got another plane. I'll have it here right away. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah. He's like, another plane will be here in, like, some 30 minutes. And he flew in a whole other plane. to fly all of Justin's friends, Tay James, all these other guys on on the second plane so how does he do that though does he, he just must man like, he bought twitter <laughs> for 44 billion i don't think a second plane is going to be an issue but that just seems absurd to be able to call on the phone and have a private and he was very he, was, like, he, he just didn't care twitter 44 billion dollars did he not care though was he just like oh yeah that's no, no problem no no he doesn't care he doesn't he, care he's pretty stoic he's <laughs> yeah very stoic that was one thing i got out of him i'm like dude like this guy like like you know you know, same facial reaction, like doesn't really, you know, that's why on the Full Send podcast it was different. You know, he's like laughing, he's cracking jokes, he's being sarcastic. Mm -hmm. Like that was a different, the Elon I first met was like very, like he had shades on, like he's like got this like, what's Iron Man's name? Um, Robert Downey uh, Jr. No, no, but the uh, character. Um, uh, oh, Tony Stark. Uh, Tony, Tony Stark. Stark. He's yeah, got this yeah. like Tony Stark, like kind of like persona, you know, so. Um, yeah, he's one of a kind. How did you begin working with Justin Bieber? Uh, around that time, um, you know, he was always kind of like the same way I worked with Floyd. Like he just kind of, I think, bounced off like my creative energy, and like we, 
um, you know, I told them about the company what we had started at the time, Shots and um, the, the YouTube network. Yeah. Uh, this is before we, we launched an app shortly later, but he was really interested in us being in the YouTube business, wanted to invest in the company. He actually invested. He's the third largest shareholder in the company behind me and my brother uh, to this day. And he was just like, dude, like what you're building with YouTube, like I love and I think this, you're onto something and I want to be a part of it. This is, he was 18 years old at the time. And ever since then, like we've owned that company together. We've always been there together for like different, different things. You know, um, you know, as a friend, we've been there together. Creative. Even when he was making music, he always like I was never involved in his music business. But if he created music, he would send it to me. He's like, hey, just need your unbiased opinion on this song. <laughs> and I was, and I would be the honest person. <laughs> this song's fire. I don't know about the song. You know. Then his team would call me. Why did you say you weren't into that wow. song? I don't know. He wanted my honest opinion, you know. And there were songs that were supposed to come out that like he killed. He's like, no, Johnny said he didn't like it because he said no. <laughs> because, <laughs> I, mean, I think maybe I was the last factor. I'm sure like he sent it to ten other people, yeah. but like maybe I was one last factor or one of the factors. But yeah, there were times where his team would call me. He's like, dude, he's literally not coming out with the song because <laughs> what you said to him. I was like, I just said I didn't like it. Like you know, I thought maybe some of the other songs were better. Wow. So I'm a little confused from the pivot from selling cable to going onto this like YouTube uh, network thing. Yeah. Like you had to be successful at the YouTube network in order to get the attention from Mike Tyson, from Justin Bieber. Yeah. Like how did you, like what was the actual link in the chain that got you in contact with them? Was it just a successful YouTube network? No, it was really Floyd. So Floyd was the first person who had heard about what we were doing at DirecTV and all the marketing stuff that reached out. And then once we started working with Floyd, uh, we, we launched Floyd's YouTube channel. You could probably look it up, his first video. I think it was like 2010, uh, Floyd Mayweather was creating YouTube videos. Um, and then right around that time, we launched a kind of similar to what Folsom is doing now with Nelk, right? Like one of the reasons why Folsom exists and Happy Dad exists is because brands aren't really keen on working with Nelk. So Kyle said, fuck it, I'll just create my own brands and ended up working to his benefit. And that was the same issue with Floyd back then. Brands didn't really like working with Floyd all too much. So we started the money team with Floyd. So the money team was something that me, my brother and, and Floyd created together, which is his clothing line, now his brand. It's a, it's a brand that we had created together. And it was the same thing that kind of going back to today that you know Kyle and I have discussed is like, you know, are we gonna go chase around and try to sign a deal with Reebok and Nike or Under Armour or whomever, or do we just create our own brand that you actually own outright, which is what we did with Floyd. And a lot of people knew that. A lot of people in the industry said like, who are these two brothers that are doing all this with Floyd on YouTube, on social media, creating the money team brand, you know, and we would always reach out to people, like give people kind of like we do with Happy Dad or Full Sense, sending care packages. We would send everyone these cool care packages with the money team and kind of we just developed this relate or this reputation of like like these like forward thinkers um which in 2010 was like you know creating a youtube channel around someone like floyd was like very different mm. um you know uh, you know f uh, back then i mean like music videos were kind of newer to youtube let alone like celebrities creating original content that's not seen anywhere else but youtube that was not normal in 2010. And how were you getting paid? Because it wasn't through YouTube at that point. Were you getting money from the clients that you were working with, or were so, you own a, a part of the brand? We made a lot. We made we made no money for a very long time because the clients didn't want to pay because they're like, dude, where do I make money? Mm -hmm. Like, and by the way, like, why would I pay you? People pay me. So that was their mentality. Um, yeah, there was no monetization on YouTube. 
Um, we try to get brands to get on board um, and sponsor videos. Um, the problem with that was that brands would say like, let's just say like a company like Reebok said like, hey, sure, we'll, tr we'll, we'll experiment, we'll give you five grand of video, you know, three videos, you know, but how do I go to Floyd Mayweather and say, hey, I just got a $15,000 deal from Reebok when, you know, LeBron James is making $10 million a year from Nike, you know, so like, like I, like I didn't even know how to explain that. He's like, dude, I'm not endorsing Reebok for $15,000. So, so brands, you know, brands were trying to use us as the cheap way to get to the celebrity. The celebrity saw through that, didn't want to do it. Brands wouldn't want to spend more than like whatever this little money that they had to experiment. So we were kind of left out. So we were like, all right, like we're just going to not make money for a very long time, but build out this network, build out this reputation. And it was really until uh, the money team launched. When the money team launched, that was our, you know, we created a Shopify site and from day one started making money off off that, which was a, you know, pretty much a joint venture between us and Floyd. So do you have ownership in the money team? Yeah. Still to this yeah. day? Yeah. Wow. I have ownership in it and, um, but also pretty much gave it to Floyd and told Floyd because Floyd knows I'm doing my thing and just told Floyd like, thank you for everything. You got this, like, you know, and he's got a whole new team running it. So I'm not active whatsoever with the money team. Um, but yeah, on paper, I still got ownership. Do you still get royalties from that? Or are you just like, you know, you take it, I'm gonna focus on this thing here. Honestly, like, yeah. maybe I'm entitled to it, but like, sure. you know, it's not worth, the fact that Floyd gave me that chance and like believed in me and my brother, and like, like I always, 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 whether he knows this or not, I always give credit to Floyd being the first person that helped me get into this business. Floyd led me to Mike Tyson. Floyd led me to Justin Bieber. Yeah. Justin Bieber led me to Nelk. Nelk's led me to Folsom and Happy Dad. You know, like, but like I always go back to like, it was Floyd that led me to meeting Bieber and Bieber led me to meeting Kyle, Steve, you know, and now what we have in Folsom and Happy Dad. Yeah. I found it very interesting in a prior podcast, you had mentioned that you never burn bridges and you always keep the relationships open because you never know where that might lead. Never know, never know. Doesn't matter who it is. Um, yeah, you just never know. I'm 43 years old, still people like 10 years ago that come across. I mean, there's people who burnt bridges with me and I feel bad for them, but I don't, yeah. I don't burn bridges. With, with how do you anybody. keep in contact with so many people and how do you like keep, keep in touch? I, I don't, you know, yeah. I mean, I'm very, um, I'm very focused on the business. Like I, I get into the office very early. My, my work days start around 5 a.m. Um, you know, sometimes I'll get in the office around seven, then leave, go to the gym, come back around 10, 1030. Um, and you know, I, um, you know, I mean, I, at the end of the day with everything I've done, with everything I have on my plate, I still only have 24 hours in a day like any other person. So I have to like figure out what I'm gonna focus on. We have a lot of employees and a lot of responsibilities with our current, what's on currently on our plate. So for me to be this like social butterfly and go and stay in touch with people, I don't. Um, that's why I was saying before is like, I wish I still stayed in touch with Floyd as much as I mm -hmm. used to, but like, like he doesn't, you know, he's doing his own thing. He's now a gr grandfather as well. I see all the time on social media, he's always hanging out with his grandkid. I'm doing my thing. But when we see each other, it's a big hug. It's a big like surprise. But, but yeah, it's just, um, you know, I don't really, 
stay in touch unless someone really needs me for something like if someone's like hey listen like can I please like sit down with you I got to run something by you or I need your help with something or just some advice like sure come by the office I got 30 minutes maybe 15 let's let's sit down but like I just can't like just be out there and just kind of hang out yeah. today was different today I was like hey like you know other than emails I was like I'm gonna hang out with my boys today you I know so today I kind of cleared my cool. calendar but usually like it's like go 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 I have a lot happy dad is is a beast like happy dad is not easy um, but it's I, I enjoy it so Floyd then introduced you to Justin Bieber oh, meanwhile while you're running all these connections and the YouTube network thing like you yeah. weren't really making too much money it was the money team that did that somewhere in the in the timeline yeah you then introduced to Justin Bieber were you like his manager what did you do exactly for Justin Bieber business partner no Scooter Braun was always his manager um, um, no I was just his business partner we um, he invested heavily in the, the YouTube network shots it was called shot studios at the time now it's called shots podcast network but um, he invested heavily so we were kind of like just business partners on a venture um, so we were kind of like kind of like me and Kyle I'm not Kyle's manager you know Drew Hill's the manager of Nelk you know I'm Kyle's business partner it was kind of the same relationship it's just like we weren't underneath the same roof together um, you know because you know like here it's a little different because like we actually built an office Kyle works out of the office I work out of the office Kyle lives 10 minutes from me it's a little different here um, you know and 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 you know, and then Drew, the manager, works here. We're, we're all partners together. So the dynamic here is a little bit different than the relationship mm -hmm. I had with Justin. Justin invested in the company, was hands-on when we needed him, but he also had his music career, his touring career, you know, everything else that he has going on. It seemed like you were pretty close with Justin as well, like friends, as I'm like walking around this massive warehouse. I see like a bunch of photos with you, like looks like you're traveling with Justin, hanging out with him. Yeah. We ended up being um, very, very close friends as well. Um, you know, we, you know, I mean, there's a, you know, 12 or 13 year age difference, I think, um, maybe more, but uh, but we ended up becoming like just really good, good friends. Like I think like it's like a big brother, little brother relationship. Um, you know, he, he's an older brother, but he's the oldest. So like, I think like I was kind of like the older brother to him. So it was more like buddy, buddy relationship. There were, there were yeah, there were times that like, we would go to Fiji, you know, for the weekend or I don't know, uh, we went to France, we went to Dubai, uh, we went to Oktoberfest in, in Germany and it was always like, when we go, it was like, we would spend three, four, five days together and not talk a word of business and just talk life, you know? So it was like a big brother, little brother relationship. I wonder, what is it like to travel with Justin? Because I imagine he like, can't yeah, like, was, be out in public whatsoever. Like how do you how do you manage that, like getting him through that? Oktoberfest, I think, he walked in, no mask, no security. It was me, him, his dad, Jeremy, and his dad, his, his, uh, Jeremy's friend, uh, Andy. And um, that one was like, there was no security, was just the four of us walking around Oktoberfest. And I think people like were like, that guy looks like Justin Bieber, there's no chance. Like, like people were so really? shocked that like people just didn't really think it was him. No mask, no sunglasses, like it was at night, but still like, I th and I think people are so wasted that I think people are just like, fuck, I think I'm fucking drunk because Justin Bieber just walking around here. <laughs> like, but, and I think that no- He did get approached though. There were some people that come up to him, yeah. There would there be some people that come up to him, but um, actually I think there's a video online I forgot about this. Uh, I don't know how you look it up, but um, 
You guys do that when you show a we'll video? Find it. Yeah, yeah. Like you see a guy actually just started to try to start a fight with Justin out of nowhere. He's wasted. And I went and I just fucking took the guy down. Like, yeah, oh. yeah. There's a video online somewhere. Wow. Um, yeah. How would he walk around without security? No there? security. They, but why? Isn't that dangerous for him? It's just Dude, he just a whole bunch Justin of doesn't give a shit, man. He just likes to be normal. Yeah. Like he isn't, you know. Yeah. You know, I mean, his house has security. Like, if you know, his tours have security. But sometimes he just wants to do normal things. You know, there were there were times like. He's always lived in LA, but he would just drive down by himself to my parents' house and just like hang out. There were times my mom would call me. She's like, where are you at? I was like, um, home, why? She's like, well, Justin's here. If you want to come over, we just order pizza. And like, he would just like go to my parents' house randomly and just yeah. like order pizza and uh, just hang out with my parents and eat pistachios and watch TV. Like he just loves normal, normal things. I would imagine that that sounds nice after growing up like in this spotlight to the nth degree right yeah. with such intensity since he was just like a little kid yeah right like his that that's probably glamorized to him in yeah. the same way that being so famous that you can't show up anywhere is glamorized to you know yeah the it's non a fresh air people. for sure yeah yeah we just took a like a two-minute bathroom break and yeah. during that break we learned what did we learn well hopefully it'll be back soon but uh instagram just removed steve will do its uh account do you know why um it's not clear we, we never truly know why, you know, like we never even truly knew why his um, YouTube went down. You know, I've heard a few different reasons, but yeah. It's interesting that Instagram and YouTube owned by different entities both decide to remove Steve Will Do It. Now I've heard certain conspiracies that like all of them are in cahoots, they're all in the same like group chat, you know, or mm -hmm. there's some guy up top that's running all of these things. What do no. you think about that? I think I think there's a person at a platform that doesn't know how to do their jobs, so they'll just read that YouTube did something and they'll say, oh, maybe we should be doing that too. I think they're just some sheep. You think so? Yeah, I think that person there, that person that's making that decision without properly doing their research is now the sad thing is the people at um these platforms that like run like the worlds of the creators and entertainment uh they don't know those people so like there's people at youtube that actually stick up for steve and like call us and say we wish this didn't happen we have no control like we love they talk to steve like there's some really that's why you'll never hear me say anything bad about youtube because there are some people that are really most people at youtube actually support steve they like steve they like no they like the shahidis uh but then there's just somebody there and i i know i i know this at twitter you know, I'm not gonna, I, I can't really get into why I know this, but I know at Twitter, it's like, they're not even employees at Twitter, they're contractors. They're third party companies that, they, that Twitter, and I'm assuming that the other platforms do the, the same, is like they contract these third party companies to run and, you know, kind of look over the community. And those guys actually have the power and the authority to do that. So I don't think there like I don't think there's like a group chat. Hey, deleted Steve. Oh, cool. We'll do that in a couple of days too. I think it's like one does it, and then everyone's like, oh, well, we got to do it now too. I think I got to do it because, you know, I'm a, my, my job is based off what, you know, a, the latest tube filter article talking about 
so-and-so's channel has been restricted or taken down or whatever. I'm just wondering what viewer of Instagram sees that Steve will do its profile got deleted and they're like, oh yes, you know what I mean? Finally, like they're sticking yeah, up for There's gotta be, you know, the, you got, Steve is a comedian and he's got a very dark humor to his comedy. So there's somebody that just doesn't get his comedy and is taking it the complete wrong way. And that's, it's actually sad because that's kind of the world we're in right now where like, you know, and I, I say this to Steve all the time. It's like somebody didn't watch your video. They just probably, somebody probably sent them your video and said, hey, fast forward to the 18 minute, 20 second mark and look at what he said. You know, it's like, and, and by the way, that's, that's probably the worst thing you could do to me is send me a video and say fast forward to 18, 20, 18 minute, 20 minute mark. Just send me the video. I wanna watch the whole video. I wanna know the whole context. Don't just tell me to watch this one, you know, quick, you know, one minute and judge the entire video or judge your entire creator. I wanna know the whole story. I wanna know the, or in the case of Steve, I wanna know the whole joke. You know, don't just give me this one thing, part of his joke and make me assume that Steve said something crazy or Steve is anti this or anti that. Um, so I think, when, but we are in a world of clips. We are in a world where clips go viral. You know, um, even this podcast, right? Like there's probably gonna be a 30 second, one minute part of this that's gonna go viral of something I said and someone's gonna like me because of it or not like me because of it. But that's just kind of the world we're in where like just clips get taken and go viral on TikTok or shorts or reels. Yeah. How do you get the account back though? Um, well, I just, uh, I mean, what you just saw, yeah. what Jen just did is we just reach out to the platforms like, hey, pretty sure somebody made a mistake and someone pushed the wrong button here. You know, in the case of YouTube, they're like, no, no one made a mistake. <laughs> Steve's out. Um, you know, uh, his Instagram has been down a few times. That's why I was saying, like, okay. maybe by the time this is live, it might be back up. We'll see. Um, you know, his Twitter has actually been taken down before and we, we got that up. But, um, yeah, it's just, um, you know, we just reach out and say, hey, this must be a mistake, you know, because someone look into it. Got it. Instagram is very supportive. Uh, Twitter, of course, extremely supportive. Snap supportive. And 99% of YouTube is supportive. Yeah. It's just that 1% somewhere, I don't know where, just, yeah. Now, I'll admit, I am extremely surprised that Nelk is doing as well on YouTube as they are. I've always felt from the very beginning that they would be up against an algorithm that maybe doesn't favor their content, that doesn't want to push, uh, you know, their, let's say, the, the partying, lifestyle, the drinking, all of these things are kind of against what YouTube's guidelines yeah. generally try to, to push. Why do you think they've done so well? And do you think maybe there's a person at YouTube who's responsible for, like, they like a certain creator or a channel and they flip a button and they're like, yeah, yeah. let's... I do, well, the first part of it yeah. is I don't think Nelk's doing as well as it should. I think Nelk's views are really coming from a very, very hardcore fan base because when we look at um, the suggested and recommended views, they're far less than some of the other channels that are underneath our network. Um, and even, even, um, even you know, I'll, I'll come back to YouTube in a sec, but even Nelk on Instagram like, why does why do Nelk boys only have four million followers on Instagram? We're as big and powerful. I mean, we're probably arguably the most powerful group of YouTubers. Like, four million followers. Like, you know, some you know, but you've got other YouTubers with tens of millions, uh, with not nearly 
the fan base that Nelk has. So um, I don't think Nelk's doing as good as Nelk should be. I think what you're, the numbers you're seeing are really reflective off the mm. hardcore audience sharing, watching it over and over again, um, embedding it onto their sites, whatever the, whatever they're doing. But the K factor of the video is really in the hands of our hardcore fan base. We're not getting the recommended and suggested views compared to some of the other channels. And on top of that, uh, for as many views as Nelk's getting, monetization is still not on the channel. The channel still makes zero money, which is crazy to me. A channel at the level of views that Nelk gets right now with a very, very premium customer, North American male, 25 and up, should probably be clearing $100,000 a month. But don't you think that's because of the copyrighted music they use? No, they use the copyrighted music because they know they're not going to make money off of it. Anyways, okay. The monetization, because of um, what happened during COVID, when they threw the party and YouTube demonetized the Nelk and Steve Will Do It channel, hmm. has been off since. So now they're just like, all right, well, we're not making money, then we're just going to put ACDC in every video. What about the Full Send podcast? That, that, that's been safe. That's, that makes ad revenue. Yeah, yeah that, makes, that, that makes ad revenue. Um, that was started post that time. Mm -hmm. um, it's a little bit different content. It's not branded Nelk Boys. Um, so yeah, that was made about a year after. So that's been a little bit different. Got it. And then what about the question of, is there someone at YouTube or maybe a group of people at YouTube who have the influence to say, I like this creator, I'm gonna turn on views for them and get their content recommended or turn yeah. it off? Yeah, yeah, there is that. I mean, we, we saw that with the Twitter files, right? Like there are, you know, there are people at these platforms that say, we're gonna mark this page as unsafe or, or this account as unsafe or as spam and we're gonna shadow ban it. Um, and on the flip side, there's a full on, I know this is a fact, some of these platforms have full on whitelist. It's like, it's just recommend this at all times. Recommend this everywhere. I don't care, I don't care if they, they're watching a Rihanna music video. Recommend this content after the Rihanna music video, even if it's not relevant to Rihanna music video. And how effective do you think deplatforming is? Because I remember hearing Tate say somewhere on like some TikTok clip or something like that. He's like, I am more powerful now than I ever was when I was on you know, TikTok, when I was on Instagram, when I was on all of these platforms. Now I have much more influence after they took me off because it was like such a massive media thing like when he got removed. I don't believe that. You think deplatforming is very, very effective? I, I think it hurts. I think it really hurts. I think you've seen it with a lot of people, no matter what, it hurts. And if you don't, if you don't believe me, go look at someone that's been deplatformed, go on Google Trends and look, search their name and how often they're searched on Google before they were deplatformed and after, right? The trends just go down. Like you know they the, just the make you is, pretty much disappear. With Tate is that uh, when he was deplatformed originally, it was all anyone could talk about for like, I would, I would say two weeks. Mm -hmm. It was everywhere. And that's where I think he got that initial spike. So temporarily, I think it does bring yeah. a lot more attention. Because everyone who hasn't heard of him was like, oh, was that Andrew Tate guy? He got deplatformed. Mm -hmm. Let me look into it. But now when you, when you look at Andrew Tate stuff, it's not getting pushed anymore. And I think his, uh, his stay in Romania or the, the jail mm -hmm. uh, just got extended another 30 days. And that's nowhere. Like, no one's even covering that anymore. Right. 
and there are no developments. Like, you're just, like that's a huge development when he gets deplatformed. But then from there on, since he has no contact with everybody through social media, there are no developments. But I so think nothing to talk move, about. People move on. I think when you're not creating new content. But, in but front let's of I think Tate is a little bit different because it's so fresh. Yeah. And and he's not truly deplatformed, right? Like his clips, like he still has this TikTok army, mm-hmm. you know, that's really, you know, like this clip army, right? Like that's like start on TikTok, but they're distributing on shorts and reels. So he's still out there. He's st- it's still fresh, but like, let's look at like some of the other guys like in the past who are completely vanished, like Vitaly, you know, like, oh, you gotta wow. give it a couple yeah. of years, by the way. I mean, Tate, you know, Tate's only been the platform for six months or so, you know, like, and not fully deplatformed, right? He just really lost his YouTube and Instagram. Like he was back on Twitter right mm-hmm. away. And, and like I said, like, but he's not really off YouTube and Instagram because his, Clips army is yeah. still strong. Was Vitaly deplatformed? I thought he just stopped posting. No, I thought his YouTube got deleted. No, it's pretty, still up there. It came back. I was pretty sure. No, you know what? Vitaly wasn't deplatformed. Vitaly was blacklisted, which is all, you know, it was like the old version of being deplatformed, meaning like nobody in Hollywood really wanted to work with him. Hmm. Um, same thing happened with Cutie Pie for a little while. Yeah. Right? He got removed from his MCN, um, I think it was demonetized or he got kicked off Google Preferred. Yeah. I think he made an anti-Semitic remark. Um, so like eventually those things hurt you in the long run. But how do you balance it? Because I know with Nelk, there's gotta be a balance between you know, speaking their mind and being open, but also conforming to what the platform is able to push. Because if you know, Nelk were to do something, it would also affect Happy Dad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Nelk is also, um, I think Nelk has figured out a different way to create content. Um, going back to that Dagestan, Russia video, right? It was like, to me, that video was a 10 out of 10 as far as content goes. Um, you know, it was funny, it was informative, it's educational, it was behind the scenes of a UFC fighter training for a big fight you know, with uh, Islam. and. Um, you know, one thing that Kyle has done a fucking fantastic job of is evolving the content to not, and not necessarily because of Happy Dad. Yes, he keeps Happy Dad back of his mind because we are in a regulated business. But also, he like knows that like he's, what Kyle's what twenty seven years old now. Like he's like, dude, I can't be doing. Pr-. He says it all the time, I can't be doing pranks the rest of my life. You know, I gotta evolve the content. I gotta change up. The fans are older now. They've been seeing this stuff for a while. I gotta, I gotta change the content. But going back to what we were talking about, the social networks, but without changing it drastically. Like, it can't be a sudden change. It has to be a subtle change. So these, some of these videos of, and also these, um, the audience has been watching Nelk for a long time. So they just want to see what everyone's been up to. They want to see the behind the scenes. So you know, traveling to Israel, traveling to Dagestan, traveling to Vegas or for UFC or hanging out with Dana White. The audience wants to see that, but also he's like, I can't hard cut to that. So mm-hmm. there's been some pranks sprinkled here and there. You know, there's been some funny moments with like Hezbollah here and there. So there's laughter and there's lifestyle in one now, um, which is really, I think he's done such a great job of like kind of growing up the content with the audience, mm-hmm. so it's not the same thing. So the content's evolved quite a bit. I how, think that's an important uh, thing for creators to learn. How much influence do you have on that direction? Or are you supportive if Kyle says, I want to take this direction? Um, I would say I, I'm, the influence I have is kind of similar to going back to like 
uh, the Bieber music mm -hmm. conversation we were having is I try not to get too involved with creative, but like he'll ask me like what I think and um, and I'll just give my honest opinion. Like, hey, what do you think? What do you think about us going to Dagestan, Russia? I remember when he asked me, what do you think about Russia? Like us going to Russia, like Pfft. dangerous, but if you can nail it, fucking hilarious. Yeah, that was my opinion. Yeah, you know, weren't they really scared of going to? Oh, to they were Russia? terrified. I mean, they were terrified, man. I don't know if he's admitted this. I think I heard him on a podcast. What was he on recently? Bradley Martin's. He was somewhere. Uh, shit, I don't know. I heard Kyle some on a podcast somewhere. He he yeah. spoke publicly. He was terrified. Who is who's the one athlete that got the basketball player, who was a, a, a prisoner there for oh. a while? Um, Brit Brittany, Brittany Griner. Griner. Yeah. Griner. I would feel like I would be terrified they, they would, you know, find something or look for something. Well, and, I mean, she took weed. Yeah. You know, like... I mean, not that, but I'm just saying, like... Yeah, would, she took weed. I mean, they were extra careful when they went. Um, I heard someone told me that, like, they were so clean that, like, they were actually more looked upon because everyone's like, all right, what are you up to? Because you're not breaking any laws. And someone, someone, I forgot, I think Gabriel told me, like, they thought they were spies. They're yeah. like, all right, wait a minute. Like, these guys are Americans, and they haven't done anything. Well, they're Canadians, but Canadian-Americans, mm -hmm. and they haven't done anything dumb. What are they, spies? So, like, they had, like, they literally thought they were spies at this point. They're like, why did these, you know, Americans usually do something stupid when they came here, <laughs> but they were so clean, yeah. But, um, but, yeah, I mean, it turned out great, and it's a 10 out of 10 video, man. Like, that's my favorite. That's my, that's my favorite Nelk Boys video is Nelk Goes to Russia. It yeah. is such a great video. No, I loved it. Yeah. I really like the behind the scenes. Yeah. Um, but beyond that, do you, do you ever pitch them ideas or, or different directions? Um, I, sometimes I'll throw something out, but between Kyle and Austin... Even Salim will ch chime in sometimes on a Nelk video. Like, they've got it. Like, sometimes I'm like, I'll overhear things. Like, dude, these guys make life so easy. Like, they've got it. Like, sometimes I'll, like, throw in something, mm. you know. But I don't really need to. Like, these guys got it. Um, podcasts, I do. Like, I'll, I'll recommend po uh, podcast guests. Um, or even, like, maybe say, like, hey, listen, like, this episode of the podcast, this is what's going on in the world. You know, it's, it's nice if you're going to interview this person. But, like, sometimes... People want to hear about what's going on in the world as well. You know, that might get clipped up a little bit more, like a current situation in pop culture or what's going on in the world or politics. Um, you know, maybe remind him, like maybe bring that up. So the podcast, maybe a little bit more. Or guests, like especially early on with the podcast, um, I was literally just going down my Rolodex. I was like, dude, Mike Tyson. I was know, like, shocked at the guests that you were able to get on the full Unreal. Yeah. Unreal. I, I loved the OJ video. Yeah. I yeah. was How did you get OJ away. Simpson on the podcast? Um, dude, OJ Simpson actually was um, believe it or not, the OJ story was Bob Menry had reached out and DM'd OJ. Um and and he had connected his like business manager and said talk to my business manager so bob's like hey talk to the business manager and um and at the time like they were kind of like not into it into it and you know we were kind of toying with the idea of maybe the guys really wanted to do it like they were like dude dude whatever it takes and mm -hmm. 
we were toying with the idea of maybe like offering some money to get OJ on. And, um, and we were kind of talking about this idea and then Kyle and I just talked separately and we're like, dude, like we can never go down the path of paying guests. Cause that just like, it's just gonna not end up good. Like you know, people are gonna get, words gonna get around and now like everyone's gonna expect that. We'll get in the mindset of paying. So we didn't do it. And we kind of like stopped talking to OJ's person for about, I don't know, about a year. And then um, OJ's guy called me a couple months ago and was like, hey, like if the guys wanna do OJ, like he's in. I was like, hey, listen, like, we don't have a budget or anything like that. He's like, no, no. He's like, he just watched the Elon episode. There was th three of them. It was Elon, Mark Cuban, and one other one. I forgot which one. Um, I don't remember. He's like, he just watched these three. It was a football player, I want to say. Shit. I don't remember. Maybe Joe Burrow? No, uh, it was someone more recent. Uh, but anyways, he just saw these episodes, and, like, he's actually a fan of the show. Like... <laughs> So I called OJ, I was like, bro, I got OJ. And then Kyle's like, we're not paying. I was like, no, like money's not even a part of the conversation. So I thought it was so ballsy that he asked him about like, well, that was the only way. I mean, Kyle and I were talking about that. We're like, dude, the only way we could do this without creating a platform for what people think OJ did is, um, you know, it's to ask, like, you know, like we can't <laughs> like, you know, like you gotta ask. And I was like, yeah, no shit. Of course I'm gonna ask. He asked four times in different ways. Yeah, know. You know, he disguised yeah. his question, but he asked four times. I loved all like the puns, like, yeah, we're gonna yeah. take a stab at that. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah like, that was, was like, talking about something. They were talking about like going out. He's like, yeah, we'd be a deadly duo. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. too good. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I'd have the courage to like just write. Oh, bro. Write I feel like you have to, to be like, if you yeah, have, right. like, you can't just like, you know, tiptoe around that. You know? Every, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you what, I, I check it out. I, um, every episode, uh, almost every podcast guest that I've booked, I've been there for that person's yeah. episode, whether I sat in on it or I just sat behind, like, just make sure everything's cool. That one, I was like, uh, I think I have to go to Atlanta. Sorry, guys. <laughs> like, I, I just, I was like, I, I kind of needed to be in Atlanta. I could have canceled Atlanta or rescheduled if I wanted to. I was like, no, no, I'm not rescheduling. I'm going to Atlanta on a work trip. Sorry, you guys got this. Meet him in Vegas. Couldn't OJ have just said, like, hey, you know what? I'm stepping outside. Delete all the footage here. That's it. Like, could mm -hmm. he have done that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so how do you balance the two of just, like, just you know? Just roll the dice, man. Really? You just roll the dice. Like, there's a lot of things he could have done. He could have fucking got up and... <laughs> Like, Taking a stab just, at yeah, it. Yeah, you could have done that. He could have walked out. You know, he could have, you know, you just, you know. So what's your perspective on having controversial guests on the, on the podcast? Are there certain people that you would deny to come on the podcast, even if they have a bunch of influence because they're too controversial? Like who? who would be a controversial person to have on? I mean, obviously we had Trump. Mm -hmm. you know. I don't think you could get more controversial than Trump or Tate. Yeah, and those Tate did. wasn't so controversial at yeah. the time. Oh, uh, well, the second time, but that never uploaded on YouTube, which was the weirdest thing. Got a strike, actually, uh, yeah, strike and a removal on the channel the day we were uploading part two, um, which was like maybe a blessing in disguise. But so I think when it comes to Jack and I, um, we're a bit on a spectrum when it comes to who we want on the podcast. Jack 
is eager to take more risk with guests, and I'm probably too safe and conservative. Like, I want the guests who like I really look up to, who I admire, who I'm really interested in. And Jack's a little bit more of like the, you know what, we should expand and get people maybe who are a little bit edgier, people that not like, like who, like, like who. I think Jack's I'm too eager and he's too conservative. Like, yeah. so who would you, who who someone Jack would want that you wouldn't want? For? I wanted on Andrew Tate. Okay. When and we were DMing him, we had like a back and forth. Yeah. Uh, he was down to come on. Graham said no, it's it's a little too sketchy right now. And then so much stuff happened, right? Like he like he got arrested for a little bit, and Graham's like, "Ha, I told you so. It would have been a bad idea." Then he got released from that and or investigated for you know the, yeah. the thing. And then and then I was like, "Ha, I told you." And it's the back and forth with that. That was one of them. Who else have yeah. we discussed? Um, There's been a few other people that I just felt like they just seem a little sleazy to me. Um, Anyone you want to name or no? No. no. But um, Sneeko, I was I was really down for for a while. Yeah. Graham was pre- a, a little opposed to it, but not super opposed to it. Uh, and then after exploring that more and discussing it more, Graham is now kind of like he's like, okay, maybe that could be an interesting episode. My perspective is, if somebody has like a bunch of fans, they're obviously saying something that people want to hear, right? And I like to be the type where I can hear out any perspective, no matter how extreme it is, because how do I know I'm right? How do I know my perspective is right without contending it with something else, other perspectives? And I definitely think I'm too eager to the point where I could have on people that would be damaging to our reputation. In the same way Graham is probably too conservative where it's hard to branch out uh, into different niches when we just continue to do similar things on the podcast. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think the one value Tate would have brought to you guys would be views, but outside of that, I think you guys like attract a lot different of people. You know what I mean? Like your your brand is a little bit different than bringing on Andrew Tate, in my opinion. Just kind of like knowing your guys' brand and seeing what you guys have done. We definitely do have a certain type of of brand on the Ice Coffee Hour. It's most of the time it's like business-minded people, entrepreneurs that have like made huge businesses and stuff like that. We we don't really talk about. We've never discussed politics. We've never discussed like social norms and, and experiments and activities and stuff like that with like yeah. people like Sneeko or something like that that, that discuss yeah. things I don't know like much that. about Sneeko, honestly. I he's don't know. similar to, I mean, he's, he's very similar to Tate. Yeah, just that's, like that's what I hear. I, I've never seen a bit yeah. of his content. We met him. He came on Salim's birthday, and, but I've I, I met him in person. I've just never, I don't know anything about his brand. So what do you think about potentially branching out and exploring more diverse topics uh, on the podcast? Yeah. Like, I'll tell you, my goal by the end of this year has hit a million subscribers. And I'm like, we're gonna do that. And Jack was saying, well, if you wanna do that, we have to take a more broad approach and get on more controversial guests. I'm open to it. But, um, but I feel like we can also do that in a way that, that we're, we're spreading messages that we don't have to like rebuke. Like we don't have to come on and like uh, necessarily try to, uh, you know, pitch a different side to our guests or try to like, I don't wanna say attack, but like really disagree with them, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah, um, like if I was your guys' partner, I would say, yeah, I don't even think you need to go that route. I think when I think of you guys and what you guys have done is the controversy gets views, no doubt, right? Tate, Trump, probably Sneeko. I, don't, I haven't seen his content, but sounds like he does. Um, but also, like, I think what the world really needs and what your audience needs and one of my favorite things that happens with the Full Send podcasts at times is becoming educational to that young entrepreneur. Like people listen to you guys, and this is why I wanted to do this. When I wanted to do this, it wasn't necessarily to 
talk on my relationship with Bieber and Mayweather and Nelk. It was to talk about how I started the business, what it took, you know what I mean? Me not being afraid to just drop out with two weeks left to start my own business. You know, obviously my mom didn't like that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, but now I've proven to my mom, like maybe that was the right move. Um, and I think like, I think that's what the world needs right now more than anything is like young entrepreneurs like us to come out and educate someone to start a business, you know, whether it's starting a business, a traditional business like what I did or getting into the Web3 space, the NFT space, which is very, very early and people are learning, getting, becoming a YouTuber. Um, talked about this once when I was on Impulsive and then obviously I got busy with Happy Dad, but I still want to do it. Like one of my dreams is to write a book on how to write, you know, how to start a business on YouTube. And, you know, like, yeah, you became a creator, but now what? You know, are you going to be dependent on ads and advertisers or are you going to build one of these products? Because I think that's the best thing. That's what every YouTuber should do. You guys. Mr. Beast is doing it, obviously. Logan's doing it, obviously. Nelk is doing it. Even Bradley Martin's doing it with, with Raw Gear and, and um, Zoo Culture. You know, but like educating people that. Like letting people know, like, this is, you know, um, I, 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 I've heard this a few times. I have a lot of friends who have kids, in, you know, from age 8 to like 12. You know, the number one thing kids say right now in school is, I want to become a YouTuber when I grow up. You know, when I was in school, it was like, I want to be a policeman, I want to be a doctor, I want to be a fireman. It's none of that anymore. It's, I want to be a YouTuber when I grow up. Okay, well, what does that mean? You're going to get views, you're going to get subscribers. How are you going to make real money? You know? Um, and I think that's what the world really needs more than anything right now. It doesn't sound sexy. You know, I mean, it doesn't sound like it's going to get 10 million views an episode, but I think at long term rise, it gives you that credibility. And I think that's what really, you know, guys like Mark Cuban, who Mark Cuban had a blog called Blog Maverick. You know, he uploaded once or twice a week just by sharing business ideas. And those are like a lot of the things in the early 2000s when I was doing my direct TV business that I would, you know, read and learn. And I think we need more people like that, like what Mark Cuban did for me when I was younger. What's one of the things that you've learned from your guests? Like, what's been the most memorable? Like something I learned from them or just something I learned from the experience? I think be either one. Yeah, just something that sticks out to you. I think Mr. Beast episode validated. We knew that launching Happy Dad and what we've done with Happy Dad and what I was doing with Mayweather 10, 11 years ago with Money Team is the future of creators. But like Mr. Beast just like straight validated it. Like we just pretty much said this is the only way creators are going to make it these days. Every, I think this, and I've said this a bunch of times, I've said it on podcasts, I've said this here, I say this to friends, every creator is going to end up, every creator is going to end up having a podcast, and every creator is going to end up having a product that they own. You know, I think the days of advertisers on a podcast are going to be doomed. I think every creator... Um, you know, a podcast, if you could figure out the good conversation part, which is not that hard, it's like talking to a friend on the phone, yeah. you know, um, if you could figure out the good conversation part, you could have a successful podcast. And the hardest thing for creators has been breaking onto YouTube. Every creator's figured out Instagram, they figured out TikTok, you know, um, you know Twitter, they've kind of figured out, you know, Twitter's not that hard, just say something. Um, but YouTube's been very hard, right? Because before, to, prior to this growth of 
podcast the last four or five years, the only way to grow on YouTube was really if you were a musician with a music video, a vlogger, or made like short films or comedy sketches. Um, there was really no other like creative vertical of content creating and vlogging was very hard. Short sketches, expensive and hard. And the music videos, of course, you have to be a musician. Podcasting has now made it like like I like I, I've had I've had youtube.com slash John for like twelve years. But I, I don't create content on there. I put my wedding video on there and like some random shorts. You know, but I've always like, dude, like what like why don't I have a YouTube channel? Well what do I do? I'm not gonna vlog my day, I don't have time for that. I'm not an actor, I'm not gonna make comedy videos, but I can make a podcast. If I really wanted to, I could go and launch a podcast. I could pick three of my friends, we could talk about what's on sports tonight and who we're betting on or who we're you know picking on fantasy and you know what I mean like I could like it's really easy for me if I really wanted to I would ask you what you know mics I should get how, how they set this up or ask Oz got to come help me real quick you're right it's really easy for me now after all these years of owning a YouTube channel to launch a YouTube show of some sort so I think a lot of more creators are going to figure this out it's a lot more easier than, to do this than vlogging or whatever else creators have been doing over the years which ends up getting old anyways. And, and then how do you monetize that? Well, you're gonna learn from Nelk, you're gonna learn, learn from Logan, you're gonna learn from Mr. Beast to create your own product. And there's gonna be more people like me you're gonna be able to find, where like you just find a business person that's gonna be able to figure out how to make the right product for your brand and, um, and, and create it and be, you become a partner. What would you recommend for us in terms of a product? I think coffee's a natural one but I've been doing coffee now for two years and the margins are really, really, really slim on coffee. Um, I would love to get into something finance related, like some sort of money saving app or, or just something like that. Um, but then I think to myself, I'm not, a, like, my strength I think is YouTube, algorithm, being on camera, asking good questions, that aspect of it. I don't want to split my time between that and like trying to figure out a business on the back end of that. Well, that's why you got to find someone to run the business and you do a, a joint venture of some sort with them. You know, whether it's like a 50-50 partnership and say, hey, listen, I'm going to be the media side of this brand. You're going to be the product side of this and, um, and let's go make something together. Um, you know, uh, there's a lot of, um, there's, there's a lot of different markets you could tap into, right? Like, like we want to, Happy Dad, the company wants to own what's inside convenience stores. Like that's what we want to go after. Like we're gonna create other products down the road. We have Happy Dad now. We'll probably have, uh, we have our, um, our beef jerky brand, board jerky. You know, uh, maybe one day we'll have a non-alcoholic beverage Maybe we'll get into things that are at the counter at the checkout stand, lighters or probably not vapes. I'm, I'm not a big vape guy, but maybe cigars, you know, like, like whatever is in a gas station, convenience store or a grocery store is what we want to own. But I think th those are like, you know, you got to just kind of look at what, what, what it's really what you, you got to find a balance between what your audience wants and what you're passionate about. Kyle likes seltzers. Uh, Logan's an athlete, KSI is an athlete made sense for them to make a sports drink. So from your experience being on the Iced Coffee Hour, you also mentioned that you think everyone's gonna come out with a podcast. How do we level up and make sure that we're ahead of the curve and we stay ahead of the curve here? 
you got to find out what your um, your the main vertical topic is and just own that dominate that niche yeah yeah just dominate that niche we were talking about that actually me and Jen were talking about that the other day is like you know like someone could create a you know recently divorced podcasts and just own that you know what I mean like there could be wedding you know getting married soon podcast all the things you need to do about getting married and like you know having like you know you know brides that are you know have their wedding coming up and their experiences on like ordering catering ordering the dj venue flowers all this other, you know what i mean like just so many different verticals of life that people could talk about um you just have to own that and it's not the same thing you know i think like i think it's more about the topic than it is like having guests giving getting guests helps take maybe pressure off of you because they could bring you things to talk about but they don't it's not necessarily about the guests, in my opinion. That's interesting because one of the biggest pain points for us on the podcast are getting consistent, high-quality guests. And now you're saying that that isn't the most important thing. It um, is not. Why is that? Because we found that if we have a guest who either has a name, they're known, people are searching them, or they have a really, really cool, unique story, the videos do substantially better than if we get a no-name person where their story's a little meh. Uh, even if the conversation is great, yeah. if people don't know them and we can't convey a reason to click on the video or watch to begin with, it, it does worse. It certainly helps if you have a guest because now you use that person in your title, thumbnail, and you're tracking their audience because YouTube is so smart that'll find people who are interested in that person and drive their traffic to you. It's just more pressure on you because like now if you don't have a guest this week, you don't find anyone, what are you gonna do, not upload? Because you're dependent on the guest. Um, you know, you gotta figure out kind of the balance. Yeah, it's nice to have certain people, but don't be dependent on a guest because what's worse than not, up, than not having a guest is not uploading. I just think the utmost, or like the, the equilibrium between like frequency and quality kind of right there lands at once a week. And of course, if there's some sort of event or something that happens, such as Graham's fight in the creator clash, that was a super cool event. We're not gonna reserve that for a Sunday. We can do that all in house, just us. And then sure, on that occasion, yes, we can post one in the middle of the week. Yeah. Um, but leave that up to other things that could potentially be happening. And if they're so exciting, we have to talk about it, we'll do it. But if we adhere to some schedule where, oh, every single Wednesday we have to release an in-house podcast episode, yes, we will run out of things to talk about. And for me, it's really hard to put something out there that I don't feel 100% confident in is like, yo, I don't want to be wasting people's time with this. Like, I want them to tune in and be enthralled every minute, you know? Yeah. Well, that's why you're a great content creator too, right? Like, as content creators, you guys are directors and editors, right? So you're directing what you're creating and you're editing at the end. You're going to figure out what, what is great out there. And, and yeah, I mean, you're not afraid, I think, Great content creators are not afraid to throw away content either. Doing a lot of things, Kyle, I've seen. Like, so what happened to that footage? Eh, wasn't good enough. Hmm. Really? Like, you went all the way here and there, spent all this money? Meh, wasn't good enough. You guys ever shoot podcasts and not post them? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a sore subject. But yeah, there was one. Can you say who you can't be? Yeah, no, well, Steve said it, and Steiny got mad that Steve said it, so that's the only reason I want to say it. But there was an episode with Andrew Schultz. And, um, oh, whoa. And, um, man, sorry, sorry, Steinberg, man. I love you, bro. Like, don't, don't text me middle of the night upset. But 
Schultz went after. Like, you know, I think, you know, when, like, a stand-up comedian, like, looks in the crowd and decides, like, just go after somebody? Yeah. Well, I think, like, Schultz was kind of, like, went after Steiny. <laughs> and he, um, and it, it was pretty awkward. Was it the whole episode, or was it, like... It was a bulk of it. it was and, like, uh, you couldn't cut around it, or...? He would come back to it, and, like, he just wanted to go after Steiny. All of us felt bad for Stein. You were like, damn. Like, you know, it was like, I know that feeling. It's like, I've actually, I was at a uh, stand-up show, yeah. Dave Chappelle, a long time ago when he was first coming. And he, he decided, yeah, a small place improv here in Irvine, I don't know, 2000, 2005, 2006, I don't know, um, long time ago. Dave Chappelle was on a come up, blown up then. Um, Somehow, somebody fucking picked it, just eyed me, and just the whole show was just roasting me, roasting me. What was like, he saying? I had a big beard at the time, and it was like a couple years after 9-11, so he's like, we found him, you know, like, you know, like, like bro, he was going, ah, you know, and everyone's laughing, like. How'd it feel for you? I love Dave Chappelle still. Like, yeah, yeah, that yeah. probably felt cool. No, no, at the time, I was like, you know, I'm with all my buddies, they're all laughing. But they were all like, but the thing with my buddies, and they're still my friends, like they all like, we all roast each other anyway. So it was like, just felt like one of them was roasting me. So at the time I was like, Fucking that sucked. Yeah. Like why me? Mm. But like, honestly, like then after that, like just watching Dave Chappelle come up, I was, I was like, all right, like I love Dave Chappelle. All right, that's like a yeah. badge of honor right there. Nah, I still hated it. I don't even talk about it. Like, oh, I bring wow. this up, like, once every, like, five years. I remember I try to, like, get it out of my memory. But so going back to Steiny is, like, I felt his pain a little bit. Um, you know, it's just like, so anyway, so that episode, he was just, like, not happy about it and just never really came out. So did he, like, veto the posting of it? You know, at the end of the day, it's Kyle's decision. Um, but... Um, I think it was just one of those things where um, just didn't want to deal with it. We were just like, you know what? Uh, there was someone else that we interviewed right around then, and we're like, we'll just go with that episode. I forgot who it was, but it was like a big, big name, and we're like, well, we'll just go with that one instead. I remember when it was. It was December, so whenever the December uploads were, it was a big name. But interesting, huh? But that was the only reason. Yeah, I get that though. I don't think you necessarily want to make anyone feel bad or, or you Is know. It, this is the thing, Steiny. Yeah. One thing about Steiny, he could be a little shit sometimes, but he also does a lot for the company. Like he he really does a lot. Like he introduces us to partners. He helps with the podcast a lot. You know, he came in and he helps with the podcast behind the scenes, and then he came in during a time where Kyle needed a consistent, solid co-host and helped step in there, um, helps with the creative, helps with questions, which is part of the behind the scenes stuff, helps book guests, helps even with me, like, like, hey, well, don't you know this person? Yeah, yeah, kind of. He's like, well, can you get them on the podcast? I'll see what I can do, right? He'll kind of help, like, kind of give me a little layup. So he actually does a lot for for the podcast, uh, for the company. Steve's assistant for a while, right? He was, yeah. I yeah. liked his whole come up story. I listen to all of his podcasts yeah, too. Like where yeah. he tells a story of like working for Steve and doing anything. Mm -hmm. Like two o'clock in the morning, Steve wants something, he'll drop everything yeah. and he'll get it done, even if it means he's not sleeping at all. 
Like, I love that sort of hustle and that sort of mindset that you'll yeah. do whatever it takes just to make it work. He's definitely a go-getter. Yeah. Um, he and I don't always see eye to eye. We always uh, argue. But um, like what do you guys argue about? Anything. Like, he just, uh, you know, he goes through these middle-of-the-night rants, and um, and I don't like middle-of-the-night rants. Like, don't text me in the middle of the night, please. Uh, don't text me about anything. Don't text me about anything good or bad. Just don't text me in the middle of the night. And he'll just go through rants sometimes. So then I what, wake like up. Ideas or no, like uh, I don't really know. I try to black it out. <laughs> you know, um, he just you know, he just has his moments. Okay. But I appreciate that guy. So I'm curious because you seem so knowledgeable on so many things and like almost like an expert in all of these fields. What do you think your weak points are? You were asking me about if I ever give the guys ideas, and. Um, you know, I don't think that's my lane as much as I'd like to, because I love everything we do. I love the videos, but like sometimes, you know, I'll think of something like, "Damn, I wish we could do this," but then I'm just like, "Nah, these guys got it." Like I'll just, I'll just sit, I'll just have that idea in my head. But I just, I think that on the creative side, um, Nelk is Nelk because 99 out of 100 ideas come out of Kyle's head. And I just leave it at that because Nelk's got to remain Nelk. And that one out of 100 might be an idea that like Steiny or Steve or Salim or Austin gave them, you know, and maybe, maybe it's less, maybe it's 80, 20, but whatever it is, I just stay out of that because these guys know what they're doing. What Nelk was doing before my time worked and what Nelk's doing post my time as far as content works. Like my lane is to build the business, to protect the business. Um, so I just kind of stay at that. Um, I try not to, get, you know, you know, I'll, I'll walk by the conference room. Sometimes there'll be a meeting and someone will wave me in. I'm like, what are you guys talking about? Next ideas? What you got anything? And I'll just walk out like, no, I don't have anything. I'm just gonna go back and, you know, just let me know when the video's going live. I'll make sure everything's okay on the business side. But I think that would be a weak point. I think. Um, you know, it's also a strength, though, because you're also recognizing where your fault yeah. is and how you're not going to interject yourself in conversations that you can't provide value in. Well, yeah, but I think it was a weak point before because maybe in the past I used to in insert myself into the creative side of things, whether it was with Nelk or not, not necessarily with Nelk with people I've worked in the past, and I've kind of learned, like, don't do that. Don't get involved with the creative work on the business. Um, you know, another thing was like what Jen said is like taking on too much. But now I've learned hire, like just hire people and fully train. You know, when we hire people here, they have one job and one job only, and that's their role. There's no do a little bit of this and a little bit of that. You know, some people believe in like hiring uh, Swiss Army knives, someone that could do a little bit of everything. I believe in like hiring machetes. It's like do one thing and one thing only. Like your job. Like we have one gal at, uh, that works for Happy Dad. She came on board and her job is to service 7-Eleven and 7-Eleven only. The other day I was driving by Chevron, you know, and they have the extra miles and I went in and we're not in one, but I've been to a couple and we are. So we're not in consistently all the Chevrons. So I was thinking, do I call Kylie and tell her to check on Chevron, uh, the extra miles at Chevron? But um, I was like, nah. Let her focus on 7-Eleven. Let's fire, hire someone else just for Chevron. Let's hire someone else just for Circle K. There's plenty of these locations to pay for them for the person's salary um, to you know to compensate the salary. So 
So that's why I think like something I've learned in the past before is like, let's have everyone do everything. Even Jen, when she came on board, she was doing a little bit of everything. And you know, everyone now it's like, I think when you're hiring someone, just give them one job and let them be great at that. Don't give them a little bit of too much because then they're gonna drop the ball on something else and you're not gonna be happy. And now you did a disservice to that person because now you're not happy with their performance. You're gonna let them go and fire them. And then it's kind of fucked up on your end because you didn't properly train that person. And now that person lost a job because you didn't properly train them or educate them on their role. So that's something else that I've learned is like when we hire someone, just give them one job and one job only and let them be great at it. If they're done by 5 p.m., good, go home. Don't, don't say like, oh, they, didn't, they don't have enough. Give them a couple more things so they stay late night like, like I do. No. They're done by 5 p.m. They got the job done. Everything's done. Great. Great. Let them go home. So, How involved in management are you? Management of? Of uh, employees. Very. Very. That's probably my number one task is working with our employees. How do you learn to be a good manager? And what do you think a good manager does? I think exactly what I just said. I think, um, you know, knowing before you hire the person, knowing a role that is necessary to help the company with growth, whether it's, you know, growth in product or growth in revenue, um, or really both. And then find someone that can fill that role, train them on that role, and let them focus on that role and that role only. Eventually they'll be great at that role. And that's, and then eventually, then you have some people, then you group these people up and you build teams. And then, because I could only, you know, Happy Dad's got nearly, you know, over 50 employees now. I can't talk to 50 people all day, every day. So now I have five direct reports and these guys have teams underneath them. And soon we'll have state leads for every single, so the representatives in each state will represent, will reach out to the state lead and the state lead will reach out to the national lead and the national lead reports to me. But I think like, you know, splitting up these roles and letting people be focused on one thing and one thing only is very important. How do you decide when to cut somebody? You know, we have a very, very low turnover. Um, I think if somebody doesn't do the job that I'm saying and doesn't really, well, if someone doesn't do that job and it's not the right fit, we'll give them two to three other roles first and try to get them to fit into one of those two or three other roles. And if they don't get to probably the third, then they're just not a fit for the company. But we will give people up to three different chances. Um, I'll start them at this one role. Let's just say this person that worked at the 7-Eleven role. She, she crushed it from day one. She's crushing it now. But if she didn't work out with 7-Eleven, she's not great at talking to store owners, retail store managers. So maybe we would give her another position and move her to e-commerce. Maybe she would be responsible for putting products on Amazon.com. If that didn't work, then maybe we would move her over to helping build podcasts and build, you know, we're going to get into like the country music podcasting pretty soon and like, you know, build, we're building a studio in Nashville and going to have a whole studio there for Nashville and country genre podcasts. Move her over to that role, completely different role. And if that didn't work, okay, she's just not sure. capable of working here. And how do you balance the, the business and you're also newly married? How do you balance that and, you know, making sure that everything's fine at home? That's a good question. Speaking so of I have, which, dinner, yeah. I have dinner tonight with yeah. her. Yes. Um, well, the good thing is she has got a full-time job during the days as well. So when I'm working, she's working. She works for a company called uh, Irby that um, 
completely different world, but um, there are these really cool like lifestyle hip apartment um, complexes. Um, she's the head of recruiting there, so she's got her. She's and this company's growing like crazy, so she's very busy there. So during the days, like it's fine. Like I'm working, she's working. Then when I come home, um, we both like to go to bed early, so we just grab dinner together and go to bed early. We wake up early, spend the mornings together, and then I head out, come to work. But the weekends are just for us. You know, I try not, unless I'm traveling with the boys for something that's really yeah. important, like a new state launch or um, usually usually a new state launch or something Happy Dad related. Um, you know, we just, I just make sure that times I got with her, it's, I'm off my phone, spend the time with her. So what's next for Happy Dad? So we're right now, we're in 16 states. We've been really focused on just really optimizing those states and growing the penetration, building out a sales staff that actually goes and meets with store owners. Store owners at the end of the day, like they want to meet the the brand. Like they don't want to meet, you know, we have a lot of middlemen in our distributors, um, the people that work for the distributors. Uh, but they, they, you know, the store owners want to meet someone that walks in with a happy dad shirt and a happy dad card. They want to meet the end product. So we're building out that team right now. Um, so we're currently in 16 states. We're going to be launching five more. Uh, and, and then we're going to be launching Canada. So we'll be in 21 states in Canada. Um, and we'll just be really focusing on like being great in those states and optimizing and, you know, building out the sales team, uh, getting into bars, getting into restaurants, uh, getting into all types of different um, stores from gas stations to convenience stores, grocery stores, um, club stores, Costco, Sam's Club. The Happy Dad model to me, you know, a lot of those who don't know us say like, you're the next White Claw, truly, no. Those who think they know us say you're the new next Budweiser, no. To me, the model I've always looked at is Pepsi-Cola. You know, I've always been inspired by Pepsi-Cola, that model, you know, Pepsi owns Pepsi, Pepsi owns Gatorade, Pepsi owns Frito-Lay and all the different chips underneath the Frito-Lay um, umbrella. Uh, up until recently, Pepsi owned Taco Bell, KFC, Pizza Hut. So, you know, Pepsi doesn't only own Pepsi. Like, they own all these other brands that, you know, 99% you know, of the world wouldn't know that these Frito-Lay brands, Ruffles and, you know, um, you know, Doritos and all of them are underneath that umbrella. 99% um, of the people don't know that Gatorade is owned by Pepsi. And that's kind of like the model that we want to go after. It's like, but the end, end, the end product is Pepsi. Like they really care about Pepsi sales more than anything else. They just, you know, the other ones complement it. Um, and I've always looked at kind of Happy Dad the same way. It's like Happy Dad to us is our Pepsi. And we'll be launching our beef jerky line. And that to me is our Frito-Lays, that's our, that's our chips. Um, you know, um, soon, We'll be optimizing our, you know, our like nutritional side of things um, with like the full sense supplements business. And that to me is our Gatorade. The future of Happy Dad is really the beverage, more flavoring, more, more states, more feet on the ground, and more 
brands underneath the Happy Dad umbrella. The big business is like building ventures together. And what is the next brand underneath Happy Dad? Never know, maybe a holder pitches us on a vegan potato chip that tastes great. You know, like oil is vegan and made with olive oil, whatever it is, you know. Thank you awesome. so much for doing this. Yeah, seriously. Course. You gave well, us being here. so much time. You're very generous with that. So yeah. we appreciate right, it. I gotta go. Cool. Well, thank you again. Yeah, I of really course, guys. I really appreciate it. I'll link to all your info down below in the description. Yeah, so thank you, guys. Thank, thank you. you. Cool. Thank you guys Until for watching. Time. Really appreciate it. Until next time. Yeah, I want to make sure we're not putting you behind. Yeah.